Welcome to What Would It Look Like, a podcast that inspires and empowers you to build transformative movements by living with one foot in the world we have not yet created. I am your host, Ebony Isis Booth. I am a life alchemy coach, cultural strategist, and fly auntie. I believe and hold at the center of my work that healing is possible, magic is real, and love is the answer. It's from a place that I coach and guide cycle breakers through the inevitability of their own growth and transformation. I help people move from unworkable to unfuckwittable through a Black womanist lens that prioritizes healing, radical self-love, and liberation. I am joined by artist, producer, co-conspirator, and creative accomplice, my friend, Jonas. Together, we're going to take a coach approach to the work of liberation. Hello, Jonas. Hi. How you doing today? I'm good, actually. All I'm right. I'm good. I'm good. It's episode two. Yeah. <laughs> Boy. And is it ever episode two? Is it ever episode two? So we launched, what would it look like, last week, um, October 19th, we dropped our first episode, The Language of Liberation. Um, shout out to us. Insert air horns. Um, and I mean, I wasn't prepared for the feedback that we got initially on a couple of different levels. But, you know, I really like to look at it from a perspective of peaches and pits. Okay. So just give us a moment to celebrate some of the peaches of last week's launch and the feedback and what we were able to accomplish with this idea of sharing our thoughts and our strategies for how we can create actual change and foster transformation in the Black liberation movement. Um, What were your peaches? What stood out to you last week? Uh, Well, I enjoyed it. I thought I listened back to it. I really loved it. I thought You know, it was really great. I enjoyed listening to his talk, just trying to be as objective as possible. I thought Mm -hmm. that it went really well. And also the people I shared it with, my my father hit me up. He was like, yo, that was amazing. I have a very close friend. Her name is Jezebel. That has really been somebody who has, we've talked about so much in this liberation space and and, and radicalism and all that. I showed it to her and she was super moved. She actually sent me an audio note, which I could forward to you, you know, so. That's what's up. Yeah, got a lot of love. And I I think that, you know, we obviously shook it up a little bit and then there was other stuff. Yeah, but we're still on the peaches. Okay. on the peaches. That was good peaches. Delicious peaches. (laughs) And I love, um, first of all, shout out to Jezebel. I love the name Jezebel. Um, I love it as like a radical reclamation of some of the, some of the tropes that we hear, um, the connotations associated with Black women, but the name Jezebel is powerful. AF, I love it. So um, shout out to her for for the feedback. Can't wait to hear the voice note. Um, Mm -hmm. Some peaches that I had for the week last week is a dear friend of mine, um, EJ, who was like, yo, this is like, I'm not even a podcast person, but I'm already like nodding, laughing, weeping at one point, um, talking about- yeah, when we talked about um, the the care of our utterances and making sure that we're calling in the world that we want to see rather than like repeating the, you know, the calls for what we don't want and, and mm-hmm. giving more power to the things that the systems that we want to dismantle um, or, you know, you know, do away with or, or not take with us into the future. So that was really beautiful. Um, 
Dr. Wells, uh, who's one of my one of my mentors in the in the in the giving all the glory and light to smart black women around the world. Dr. Napoleon Wells hit me up and was like, I'm definitely subscribing. Um, I like what you guys are doing here. It's very necessary. He was also one of the folks who gave us early feedback about the show. It was just really positive. So um, across the board, I noticed that we had a lot of peaches. Um, We were also able to connect um, with with Graffiti and Julius at the pod uh, are at the plug podcast agency who was able to get us on with, you know, distribution and welcome us into the family with our show and our concept, um, to help, you know, get things going and operationalized to get the show to the people, which is really exciting for me. So those are some of the peaches from last week. Let me, let me shout out graffiti, shout out out Julius, (laughs) and let me shout out the plug network. Yes, absolutely. They got us on. So yeah, it's, it's, it's big things. That are happening and Aguan. I'm excited about it. Big big things are gone. I don't big know. That's, that feels appropriative. I am not a Caribbean. Um, oh, okay, okay, so. okay. All right, but you know, it was celebratory. But yes, nonetheless, yeah. Bantu knots for white people. That's what that don't, was. <laughs> listen, don't let the head wrap fool you. I do not speak patois. So no, no, um, me either, me either. Okay, so those are some peaches. Not all the peaches, but those are some of the juiciest peaches. Now, Mackinac peaches, Jerry. The yeah, Mackinac peaches. <laughs> That's from so there was, you know, there was a pit. A, a, there was some pits, perhaps, um, that came a like singular pits. A pit. A, a pit. pit. A pit, but it's like one of the ones that you like didn't see coming. So somehow I feel like I bit down into it. Um, I didn't quite chip a tooth, but it left like a nasty taste in my mouth. You ever get a peach that's so ripe and like you break it open and the pit breaks open too. And it has like that fuzzy slime inside. That was kind of what this particular pit felt like. So why don't you share? Because it feels like you were familiar. Um, you, you saw the pit coming before I did. So I didn't see the pit coming. I knew of the existence of the pit. The pit is my stalker. I have a stalker. I have a voracious, ferocious, focused, and intense stalker who has been stalking me for the better half of 13 years. The better half of 13 years or all of 13 years? You know, it's either 13 or 14. He he either started in 2010 or started in 2009. Oh, my God. Maybe even 2011. So maybe just 12. Perhaps I'm overshooting. Nonetheless... That's entirely too long. Okay. So this gentleman, yeah, I want to talk about time. how he how came into our life. How did the pitch show up? So we posted it and then, you know, Ebony called me up the next morning. She was like, I was like, how are you doing? You know, and she was like, well, mm, we have our first <laughs> troll. And I was like, oh, okay. That's, that's not. And then she, and this troll virulently attacked uh, an associate of yours. Yeah left comments all on this person's, like on 20 posts, talking about her connection to you and you and your connection to me. And ultimately, this person has done exactly that, which is harass people around me. So this person contacted you and they were like, are you okay? And they asked (laughs) if you were okay because there was a crazy harasser on her page 
And lo and behold, you had also received this message. You didn't really have context for it. You received something in your inbox with weird yeah. names, phone me, calls. Yeah, let me speak to that. So, like, I, um, I don't, first of all, I believe that Instagram is a place of ill repute. I love that. <laughs> it is. I have been working on my relationship to and with social media and its re- relation to my mental health and the mental health of like all people in the world. Uh, just it's it's a constant struggle, right? I understand it's necessity. I'm not entire sir always I'm I understand its purpose. I'm not certain of its necessity, I guess I will say. Um increasingly more so too. Increasingly more more so. Um but lately it has been also yeah, we'll get to that. So lately in these past couple of weeks since October 7th certainly it's been important to highlight, you know, human rights injustices and then sometimes I I'm curious about even its efficacy in that regard. But I feel like Instagram is a problematic place. I don't really do IG and had only been on there so that I could promote the podcast. Mm-hmm. And when I got this inbox message, it was like a series of, it was in my, like, in the in the crates, crates of, like, people that I don't follow. And the only reason I checked it is because we're sharing posts. So I figure it might be somebody who follows you and doesn't follow me. Boom. I go in and I see Which a is series. True. Yeah. Like, right. Like, I didn't know. You yeah. know, I didn't know this was a pit. Like I said, right. I'm like, is this a peach? And I'm going to open it up and it's going to be a pit. Um, so it was not a peach. It was a bunch a of putrid, like, putrid yeah, thing. it was like how mm-hmm. you call yourself a professional. Um, it said something about assault. Um, um, there were like two articles linked in it. And then there was a missed call um, all in consecutive order from this person. And I was just like, Immediately, all my troll Russian bot alarms went off where I was like, you know, because you get, I, I don't know, my my DMs don't be the place where there's like, my DMs be dry, okay? There is only Russian bots and, you know, hello, madam, how are you today? You want to increase your follower account kind of thing. So I just assumed that it was trash and I deleted it and blocked the account. When I went and saw that the account wasn't private, I was like, oh, okay, well, block, delete. We don't engage whatever done then i get this text message from a colleague of mine who um i have worked with i have been featured on her podcast is a colleague associate and even would go so far as to say like a a friend right sends me this text message she's like girl are you okay because this person is posting has posted on either on 20 or more of my accounts several versions of this same message um and I eventually had to block them and so then like my stomach dropped and I was like oh this this is not a troll this is targeted then the comment made me feel some kind of way because it calls into it. And the reason it I was immediately reminded of is because it calls into question my professional, my professionalism, my work as a coach, my role in the coaching industry. Um, and then made some claims saying that I was, um, using anti-Semitic tropes and, um, even though tropes was misspelled, um, anti-Semitic <laughs> tropes and what else did it say? Uh, calling for violence against all white people. So, 
The lies. Never happened. The Never lies. Happened. The lies. <laughs> so I, but I immediately was kind of like, I don't know. My, I had a lot of reactions over the course of the day and thinking about that, that ranged from, so what? It's the social, it's Instagram. It's the house of ill repute. This is what happens there to, um, is this a meth, a manner of safety to, of course, people are going to disagree. We knew that when we started, we said that this is a black liberation podcast. We knew that there was going to be beef. Like there was going to be smoke about it because, you know, the answer to the question inherently is that no, some black, some people do not want all black people to be free. And one could ascertain from this series of messages sent to this particular individual using the language that they chose to use, that this would be someone who would emphatically say, nah, (laughs) I don't want all black people to be free. So um, that was how the pit came to me yesterday. And then I kind of knew that Jonas had mentioned that he had a soccer, but I didn't really think that this is what that was until I noticed the very targeted and deliberate claim that he was making toward you in this message um, that he sent without using your name, but talking specifically about the he that I am collaborating with on this podcast. So that is him. how I came about the pin. Him. I am him. Him, him downstairs. So, him. so what... So yeah, that's, here you go. Okay, now, so then you called me and you yeah. said, you know, I'm, how are you doing? I said, how are you doing? You said, I've been better. I said, why? You said, we have a troll. I said, no, it's a stalker. <laughs> and I said, let me tell you about the stalker. So let me tell you about the stalker. Okay. Yeah. Let the people know. About 2010, I received an inbox on my Facebook message. I was in a band called Black Hearts and my, my bandmate, also received this message and it was from this guy who basically said his great grandfather used to be the CEO of Walt Disney. He was plugged in with the Illuminati. He was going to make sure our career never took off. We messed with the wrong person, blah, blah, blah. I'm mystified as to who this is. Well, to give some context around this time, we in black hearts, I was very much in my debauched era of all forms of degeneracy. And one of them was the company I kept. One of the company I kept was this man's ex-wife. And to give this context, not in any sexual capacity, I myself never engaged in anything even approaching sexuality with this ex-wife. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. woman. (laughs) With that woman. Oh, you got to laugh to keep from crying. You know what I mean? Oh, this is crazy. I didn't though. I didn't I know. Okay, okay, go ahead. So, like I said, without getting to the specifics of my debauched era, I was engaging in some regressive practices, including perhaps some unmentionable illicit substances. Perhaps some of my friends were engaging in some questionable behaviors in certain fields, and this person wanted to engage in both of them of their own volition. Now, without getting, again, it's very difficult because I don't intend to shame anybody. I'm not mad at anybody, but I just want to make it clear. The source of this person's anger is that his ex-wife made a series of choices, big adult choices, that rather than attributing to her and taking out any of his frustration on her, he decided to glom on to me and my bandmate. 
and attribute all of the dissolution of his marriage, because it ended up being that, to me and my bandmate. Now, mm. the nature of what happened to this woman is that she began to engage in these same practices. But to give more context, their relationship was fraught with a ton of tension before. This person... As, is, you, as far as you know. I was privy to it. I had witnessed it with my own oh, eyes. Okay. Like his obsessive, controlling, angry behavior, her somewhat insolent or indolent, you know what I mean? Very, uh, she was perhaps not the obedient wife he had asked for. And he was not the comforting, caring husband that she had asked for. And all of the rancor that comes with that was manifesting before my eyes. And perhaps I exacerbated it. Okay. So because by sheer proxy of giving her an outlet for her malfeasance. Okay. Mm. So long story short is he became aware of this and I can only guess as to what this young woman told him about my relationship to what had caused her to engage in these behaviors. Undoubtedly probably fed me some stories that were untrue about his nature and told her him stories about our nature that was untrue all to indemnify herself from whatever was going on. Okay. I hope I'm not being too circular about it. You know, I'm, I I'm mean, trying. I feel I like I get it. I, I, I to be clear. Okay. So, I think you're being, I don't, I don't think you need to like work so hard to like paint a picture as much as to say like what I'm gathering from this is like, this was based off an extramarital relationship where this individual felt scorned and sought revenge and targeted against me you and your who bandmate. Was not, who was not in any way, shape or form related yeah. to like Liz, we are listen this is not will we are not sitting around the red table this is not will and jada and august alcina mm-hmm. is not in the building like this yeah. is a thing that happened a very long time ago that had absolutely nothing to do with today october 2023 so like you know but i hear you and i great i'm grateful for the context but i just don't want you to exert so much labor trying to like clean up the circles of right. of okay. this mess well so let's just get to rather than what he perceives as his just aspirations of terrorizing me, Mm. what that actual terror involved. So he proceeded post this initial message to attempt to sully and smear the name of the black hearts with all of our potential working relationships. At that point, we were signed to Warner brothers. He was sending emails to Warner brothers. He would check our tour dates. He would send information, these tour dates accusing us of being child sex traffickers and heroin dealers. This is just flat out fabrications. He was attempting to say alarmist things to just for that very notion, ring the alarm. Now it never worked. He comes across extremely unhinged to everybody. I have never really been in an experience where anybody's taken him seriously. And it's not just his clearly not well thought out accusations, but just the sheer nature, like you said, he's he's typing furiously, misspelling words, coming across very unhinged. Nonetheless, he then proceeded to target. He never was overtly targeting me. He would target things around me. Eventually, he glommed on to my father. And mm. for eight years, he proceeded to call my father virtually every day, six times a day, making these same accusations, threatening to get my father, a full-fledged American citizen, deported. And mm. and to give more context, this is, yes, you guessed it, an alabaster admiral, a white male. 
on the warship mm-hmm. of white pathology and aggression. Oh, he is man. an alabaster admiral. Okay. Um, the Mayo military. So okay. anyway. Well, okay. He, so this man. Oh, Lord. Yes, because we have to talk about the way that he found it to be well within his province to weaponize institutions. He has been. Yeah. And furthermore, to give more context to this person, as much as I understand, to be frank, like I said, I have empathy, I have compassion. He struggles with particular mental illnesses. This is undebatable. Every single person, starting with his ex-wife, I believe even he has mentioned that he he is on the spectrum to a more severe degree. So were you having interactions with him? Were you like communicating with him? How do you know this as far as like what he has communicated to you was somehow through the, the unhinged texting and calling and ranting. I didn't glean this information. I didn't, I didn't armchair prescribe or armchair diagnose. I was told by his ex-wife. He is on the The more severe end of the spectrum. You know, okay. he okay. is, he is, so this is, and, 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 but yes, his behavior reinforced that, that information. It okay. didn't contradict it. Right? That there's so, some, perhaps, perhaps some neurodivergence that is causing this behavior you know I mean? to seem normal in his makeup. And I, I don't want to say that not no? to seem normal. No, I don't want to normalize his behavior. I don't want to use said mental illnesses or said spectrum behavior to in any way, shape, or form indemnify him of his okay. volition, of his choices. Okay, yes, well then if he that's simultaneously the case... has this illness okay. and is malfeasant, is malevolent, engages okay. in chicanery. You know what I mean? So okay. this person basically, to my understanding, is fully financed. Like he's almost an invalid and he, he 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 is fully financed by his parents to live his life now this harassing behavior he engaged in with me he engages regularly with other people he targeted because again of the malfeasance of his wife he would trail her and find other relationships where she engaged in frankly extramarital business and harass and attack these people. I can speak to some of these people. Some of them are prominent writers. Some of them are prominent musical artists of the rap variation. They're not all black males. Some of them are white males. Some of them are not necessarily Caucasian, European, you know, like for instance, one of them, uh, a friend of mine, a great writer, he is a Jewish American. So there's definitely not a racial makeup, but he, engages in harassment and targeting to deal with his emotional turmoil about his marriage and perhaps any problems he has in life. This is what he does. He goes out and he harasses people. So and projects those issues onto you and making you responsible for the proverbial you as a whoever okay. the you is, you know, okay. like whether it be this writer, whether it be these rappers, whether it be me, whether it be my ex bandmate, you name it. So it's not just me. He's doing this too, right? He he right. makes it like, and and the reason that's why I bring up the fact that his parents, I believe, fully fine is he clearly has all the time in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So furthermore, he he proceeds to harass my father. And let me give you some more context. It's not just phone calls. My father is a yoga instructor. Mm-hmm. He called the yoga studio my dad taught at and threatened to blow it up. He would essentially engage in what is very, very realistically can be termed terrorism. 
He attempted mm-hmm. to terrorize my life, but it was just ineffective. So much so that for the lion's share of it, I just brushed it off. He would go away. He would come back. He was engaging. He was doing it with all these other people. And so finally, my dad, around the time of the pandemic, he really had had enough. We're talking about eight years. Yeah. An Obama presidency. You know what I mean? Two terms, you know? And so <laughs> two terms, you know what I mean? This guy, two election cycles, you know? So he was like, we gotta, I gotta employ the law, you know? So my dad, being a man of discipline and persistence, goes to the police station virtually every day for six to seven weeks because one can only glean basis on based on that anecdote that that's how often you have to go to the police to get them to do something for you. So mm. he went to the police regularly. Yo, I'm getting harassed. I'm getting stalked. I'm getting harassed. I'm getting stalked. You know, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a rigmarole, a roundabout. He's got to do hella, hella shit just to get somebody mm-hmm. to notice. Finally, they're like, okay, well, this... This counts as you can probably get a PPO for this, you know? So basically the cops eventually create a file and a report and we can take said report and press charges. So Mm -hmm. we did that. Now I want to talk about, there were two trials. One was mine and one was my dad's. My dad's was first. So at said trial, Marcus, we'll deal, we'll deal with that. Let's yeah. deal with that, right? Sorry. Yeah. My stalker. <laughs> I don't feel like that matters, honestly, because it's not specific. There are a million of them. And I, and I honestly, I want to humanize them a little bit. I do want to humanize them. We could talk about the nature of that. But regardless, at this said event, he comes with his lawyer. And my dad has to present his case of why he needs a PPO. And he says, this man has been calling me, leaving these type of messages. My dad has saved the messages. He plays the messages. The messages go along the lines of, hey, Sam, I just want to let you know that your heroin dealing child sex trafficking son is out there terrorizing youth. And I'm going to make sure you pay for it. I'm going to make sure that you get deported. I know where you're from. I know you're from Africa and I'll get you sent back there. They're going to be protests in front of your lawn. I've got the FBI working on it. I've got the CIA working on it. I have countless amounts of evidence. You are going down. Your son is going down. How could you consider yourself a yoga instructor and a a teacher of spiritual practices when you allow your son to run around the world terrorizing underage girls and dispensing drug getting them hooked on drugs that was like a really good liam neeson it was like (laughs) 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 i'm sorry no he does does grizzled batman voice yeah yeah that's Hey there, Sam. That's a little kid. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, anyway. Uh, uh, anyway. So what anyway. Did say? That gives me the ick. Like, yes. Yikes. Ick, ick vibes. Yikes. Yikes. Okay. Without the S. So, so your dad plays these in court for the judge. Like the this judge is... goes, well, sir, where's the evidence? And his lawyer stands up. And this is on court record. I'm not paraphrasing. I am not uh, in any way abridging. This is the sentence verbatim. Okay. I can answer that, Your Honor. The lawyer stands. I can answer that, Your Honor. And the judge says, oh, please do. And the lawyer goes, there isn't any. My client was just upset. Oh. For for eight years. For eight years. I was just upset. Okay. So the judge is like, Yo, this is ridiculous. 
permanent protection order granted. Now, again, I want to give you some context more. The lawyer beforehand goes, yo, to my dad. I'm sure he didn't start with yo. Please don't follow through with this. I promise he won't do it again. My dad says, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going through it. So it goes through, right? Then my trial date comes. He just doesn't even show up. Mine is granted too. So now we both have permanent protection orders. We're thinking this is the end of this. Yeah. When was that? Excuse me. When was that? Definitely peak pandemic era. 2020, 2021. You know what I mean? Okay. In the throes of the world's most, you know, terrifying health crisis, short of actual anti-blackness, which superseded that pandemic in, in sheer white hot, this is the biggest problem. Just like my previous sentiments. Yeah. Nonetheless, I had my own particular terrorizing health crisis, and it was in the form of a stalker. I, I, you know, I addressed it. We addressed it. We thought it was addressed. He frankly disappeared. Mm-hmm. The first rumblings I had heard of his reappearance was I have one of my um, closest collaborators in, in all my musical works. He's the visual captain. His name is Blake. Shout out Big Blake Jackson. You know what I mean? He caught a stray. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Bro goes out to people he knows. And and I'll keep going. Okay, so in that interim time, preceding me actually stopping it, like I said, he was fairly indiscriminate. One of the people that he attacked was the Donna Baldwin Agency, who were representing me as a voice actor. And when I say attack the Donna Baldwin agency, the Donna Baldwin agency has many different factors. I'm familiar. Different facilities, right? Models, actors, voice actors. He called every different department, sent emails. You work with the sex traffic. I'm going to call everybody along the same lines. He's left similar messages that he left for my father. He left for every different department head of Donna Baldwin agency including and not limited to the actual head of the Donna Baldwin agency. Yeah. Indiscriminately targeting anybody he could find affiliation with me with. And again, here is the relatively humdrum conundrum of the situation is that he didn't really come at me. He chose to attack the people around me. That was always what he was doing. He never, like he wasn't calling me six times a day. He never, really attacked me. There was a period of time where maybe he'd leave wild comments on my Instagram, maybe he sent me, but like this targeted, persistent harassment was almost exclusively reserved for my father, which is wow. really, it was, it was baffling, you know? And so he continued to target my father while simultaneously throwing Donna Baldwin into the mix. And, and they were respectful because like I said, nobody takes him seriously because his accusations come across so unhinged. They're so lacking in any veracity whatsoever that it undermines any agenda he has of causing me harm. It is just embarrassing. It's deeply humiliating. It feels bad. It hurts me. He attacks you now. So again, let me go. Now we're, we're doing a lot of time jumping here, you know, I mean, but I, I feel, feel like this has been a pretty linear breakdown. Okay, good. Of what has okay, gone. Good. Yeah. So then he, like I said, circle back to Blake. He, he sends a message, I believe to Blake directly, but also to the westward telling the westward that blake works with an artist who is a child sex trafficker a heroin dealer and that's me right right and so blake receives the message 
and the Westward writer received the message. The Westward writer reached out to Blake and was like, hey, I heard about this. What's up? And he was like, yo, you're on as a stalker. This is really sorry. He's like, and the Westward writer like, yeah, I figured. If Jonas wants to just, you know, reach out to me or whatever, let me. And so I did. I, I apologize. I, I'm really sorry that you're being harassed by my harasser. Just want to let you know I have a PPO against this person, blah, 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 so on and so forth. The writer was really accommodating. I was like, if there's any messages or anything you could forward me that he said, I could really use that because clearly I have to reopen the case. Clearly I have to. And I can't remember. I don't really feel like anything was forwarded to me. But and I don't really believe Blake received any more um harassment whatsoever after that point now again more context my ex-bandmate has also been engaged in a protracted struggle against this person Mm -hmm. and this person this stalker included his back and forth with my ex-bandmate which was much more contentious because again due to what perhaps what is wise counsel or my own natural instinct about this i'm not really sure i never really went back and forth with him. Mm. You know, I never mm-hmm. chose to engage. Partly because I too don't take him seriously. I empathize with him. I feel bad for this person. This is a person in deep, profound pain without the mechanisms or tools to deal with it in a healthy way. They yeah. are suffering. I am not suffering beyond his attempt to engage in sort of transference of suffering that is ineffective. I've continued to live my life, continued to have all forms of success, continue to be very happy, continue to achieve all my goals. But this persistent nagging annoyance existed. Yeah. Now, I thought we had addressed it. It was done. You know what I mean? And it wasn't. He had reappeared. And I can't speak to how, you know, vicious and intense his fight with my bandmate was, but I can only imagine considering the nature of ex-bandmate and how he doesn't take lightly to any sort of aggression. He responds in kind. Yeah. Um, so to give more context again, when he mentioned assault my brother, mm-hmm. that was one of the things he said that He wasn't talking about me. He was talking about my ex-bandmate because I was forwarded again. It just, I keep having to expand the circle. But so he basically sent a bunch of messages back and forth. And and my ex-bandmate like took a picture of his house geolocated on and Google Drive. Just like, I'm coming over to beat you up or whatever. And 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 then obviously the stalker's like, that's where my uh Apparently his his brother has Crohn's disease and is a homosexual with two kids. I don't know why he included that information, but that was information he included to somehow, I don't know, he would antagonize my ex-bandmate. And then when my ex-bandmate would return and fire, he'd be like, how dare you attack me? <laughs> Again, we can talk about how that is a common characteristic of a certain demographic, but Perhaps. I digress. Perhaps. I digress. Okay. So... Long story short is last night, for instance. So now, again, this person has started a fake Instagram page called Life Coach Awareness. And it's just a small clip from our last podcast where I'm talking about the argument in favor of the necessity of violence to re-equalize or to equalize power dynamics to rectify longstanding disenfranchisement, all sorts of 
valid arguments for the necessity of violence without specification, without like, oh, this is going to befall you, any of that, right? You also talked about, we also very much talked about, that was a conversation around the myopia of whiteness in and of itself. And we talked about how there is a choice and responsibility about how we enact violence or if we choose violence because of its tendency to radicalize whiteness toward and further Wherever away it's going. from. Yeah. Wherever it's going. To, to Wherever other, it's eventual location. To other extremes, rather, yeah. right? So like yeah. if you already had a tendency or a predisposition toward a, a MAGA-oriented family dynamic and then you experience violence at, at, in an all-Black space, that would lead you toward making the decision to become more radical and, and donning the red cap or whatever, storming the Capitol or any of those things. So uh, that that is what we said, but it is not a, it's not unusual for the myopia of whiteness to also show up in this way where certain words or phrases or concepts are taking, taken out of context and then flipped and used to attack um, people who have a differing opinion, which is what I see as having happened here. But so yes. yeah. Also, now we have this. Now we have racism. Yeah, yeah. Now we yeah. have the the life coaching. What's the page? Life coach, life coach awareness. Awareness or something. And yeah. And this is lit. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so it's it's that clip, and it basically accuses us of calling violence to all white people, which did not happen, but also of using anti-Semitic tropes, which literally we would never do. Because not we're happen. not anti-Semitic, but also there was literally no discussion of anything related to Judaism, or whatever. But I think he mentioned that because he believed it to be triggering. He believed it would incur the wrath of whatever institutional establishment might that he can get. Because again, I keep talking about how he claims to have connections to places that could smush me, us, like a bug, right? That yeah. like, my great-grandfather was the CEO of Del- Disney. Like, did, did that dude even know you? Great-grandfather? Like, what? You know what I mean? It doesn't even make sense. It, it, but eh, I digress. So anyway, he more or less continued on this path of sit of with this page of following a handful of people that follow me. And he reached out to one or or my friend, uh, this this gentleman said, yo, this page just followed me. It looks like it's targeting your, your page. I just want to let you know. And I asked him, I said, yo, could you say X, Y, Z, a very specific phrase? Because without getting into the nitty gritty, obviously we got to go further. Mm-hmm. And he did that. And basically this man proceeded to say, well, yes, even though there is a judgment against me, blah, 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 this, that, and the other, the state that you live in is wrong. And there's investigations going on in my state about their hate crimes. But he also said to this man, which I find this to be very interesting. I am here about your relationship to my ex bandmate, which Mm. is weird because why my, this gentleman, I don't, I don't know if he follows or is friends with my ex bandmate at all, but I do know that he follows me. And he's friends with me. So it just seemed like a straw man argument. And the reason I believe he used that straw man argument is because if he said, I'm here because of your relation to Jonas Abraham, it would be in direct violation of the PPO. And right. this is what I'm believing. I'm wondering if this person is thinks or understands or, or is under the impression they're savvy and somehow skirting, violating the PPO, which they aren't. They aren't. They have violated the PPO several times now, mm-hmm. whether they're aware or they're not aware. And 
you know, that's pretty much the entirety of the story. Whew. So we can start to t- really unpack it because this is one of the things that we got to talk about. It's the notion of like this person really feeling entitled to weaponize the institutions against whomever he feels or deems it right. And where does that belief come from? I, I, I myself, I don't believe black people. I don't believe, I don't believe non-white people believe that they can weaponize the institutions of the state against their enemies. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that there's a, an inherent trust um, that has been established in any of these systems that would make lead anyone, you know, right. lead me to believe that that's, that's an approach. And I think here's some things that I would like to say about the stray that I caught. Yes, please do. Okay. I, I appreciate, thank you for breaking that whole thing down and sharing that and also getting that off your chest. And for a minute, I, I don't know if you noticed, um, I lit a candle. Yeah. I burned, I I burned something to clear and I just want to invite us to take a breath to like, like let it Mm -hmm. like, just get that out Mm -hmm. because as I understand it, you've been holding your side of this story for all 13 years. Is this, you don't really talk about this. No, not in And I, I, now I'm forced to, that's why we're doing this. And also tomorrow I plan on making a public announcement, a PSA of sorts on my Instagram page, just really coming in with a head on and a, in service of anybody that I have community with there that may catch strays because he seems to be going out and searching for my friends to engage in either forms of just, just really bad interactions or targeted harassment. It would be yeah. unfair of me to not in any way, shape, or form attempt to intervene, to circumvent, to prevent, right? Yeah. But also, yes, like it's like, why am I I'm deeply ashamed of it? I'm deeply humiliated. I'm embarrassed. Mm. If if there's any pain I'm suffering, it's that. It's a sense of humiliation, which is and shame, which are profound emotions. They're not nothing to write off. I'm ashamed of this. And it hurts yeah. my feelings. I'm embarrassed. I'm mm. deeply embarrassed by it. And, 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 but why? Partly because, like I said, it addresses some of my quote unquote early burglary years, my mm. less than stellar moments. And this is, and we talked about this, and, and this is something I really want to get into because that was, we had a conversation, me and you yesterday, instead of recording, because, you know, people over products, we had to really talk about this as human beings. Yeah. Like we, uh, so I I want to let's venture into the shame the shame monster. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to have a conversation. Here's I'm I'm grateful. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with gratitude over dread. I'm grateful for this pit, and the reason I'm grateful for this pit is because what it did was it gave us an opportunity to be empowered to have agency to own our own stories and experiences to face shame and to look it in the face and be like wait a minute and i think that is more powerful than any claim or a podcast review where like the only power that this person had was to 
you know, and like you said, like there's obviously some some pain or something else that's functioning in a part of them that is leading them toward these particular actions. But, you know, if all you have is the ability to rate our podcast one star on Apple Podcasts and like, you know, make some comments on Instagram, that doesn't really outweigh the fact that our relationship, we're coming up on almost 20 years of friendship. Um, and that has much more power. So we needed to have a conversation about how do we heal in the context of us continuing to do this work of staying the course? Because like you said yesterday, everything that we have to say is important. Everything that we have to say is important. I'm going to turn my phone on. Do not disturb. Me too. Um, Me too. Everything that we have to say is important. I wish I could turn my dog on. Do not disturb. (laughs) Giorgio Michael. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, you know I mean, um, you know I mean? so us having these conversations is really a testament to the work of healing is possible. There was healing that needed yeah. to take place because there was harm that was caused. And we also had to heal and go back to the some of the earliest stages of our friendship during that time of like, well, what was going on back in 2010, 11, like. What, and how did we get here today? And what what took place? Because when I when I caught the stray, <laughs> and you gave me the first story of context, I had a part that also experienced some harm around that time in in an interrelational way, and was like, oh, so of course now I'm being targeted by the stalker based off some shit Jonas and them did you know, back in the days where they was like running through the streets, black, you know, black hearts for life being like black punk hip hop rock stars. And, you know, now I'm, I'm towing the line for that, which I didn't know I was going to feel that way until I felt yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah. I wasn't able to move past it until I articulated it and we talked about it and talked through it. So. Yeah. So that's and, what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. yeah just that's, that, that's like, where we are with the, with the shame piece and, and how, how we got here. But, you know, I well, think shame is, shame is one of those things. Um, guilt is guilt and shame are the two lowest vibrational frequencies of emotions that one could feel. They're all the way at the bottom. Right. Um, guilt is, right I, yeah. in the root guilt is, I did bad. Shame Mm -hmm. is I am bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because shame is one of those things that can be projected onto you and like communicated to you without words, without, I mean, like a look, a glance, um, a disposition, an energetic like shift can, Mm -hmm. can send some shame. So to the part of you that is holding shame, I want to just say like vulnerability is not always the safe, the next safest space. So like right, right. to whatever degree you feel comfortable unpacking what this brought up for you. Um, I'm happy to, to walk with you. Yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's what I, you know, like we had a great conversation yesterday, but I think that basically if there's anything that I care shame about is that, like I often would use the language I emerged from my dark wilderness years unscathed. Hmm. And that's just not true because there are these protracted, prolonged streaks of harm 
that affected the people closest to me. My father, you know, yeah. like literally terrorized by this man. And because I was still somewhat ex existing in this wilderness, I was somewhat oblivious or just let it go. I didn't nip it in the, I wasn't stricken with the same fervor to address it, to shut it down. I was just still on my debauchery, my hedonism. You know what I mean? It's just like, sorry, you got to deal with that. And and so that speaks to how like, I'm, I was not hyper aware as I try to be of how my behaviors affect the people around me. I didn't, a lot of the values that we talk about in this show, you know, with community and with socialism and prioritizing the people and thinking about how we affect the people around us and making that, mm -hmm. I, I didn't live that way. Yeah. And so I was, and, and one of the things that we, we fail to understand a lot of times is when we harm ourselves, we harm the people around us. So you think I'm only harming me. I'm only engaging in these poisonous, poisonous, toxic behaviors to me, mm -hmm. but because there are people who love you, but because there are people who care about you, but because there are people who have the heartstrings connected to you, mm -hmm. you cannot just hurt yourself. Yeah. So I think the shame and the humiliation, the embarrassment I feel is like, this is the damage I've wrought. This is what I've done. And it, it does seem terminal. This, this man is determined. He, he is not in any way warded off by the system. Clearly, he feels somehow insulated from the legal ramifications of this. And, and one can only surmise after somebody engages in a behavior for 10 plus years that they're going to do it for life. So... Yeah. Maybe. Right. But I, I mean, certainly I'm, I, I live in this place where it's like, yo, is this going to be forever? You know, like yesterday when you call me and because like, you know, I don't think it's any hyperbole to say that our relationship to me, just like, you know, I feel you feel the same way. It's so sacred. It's so yeah. deep. It's so profound that it really drew into stark contrast what harm meant when it harmed you. Yeah. Not that I didn't see it as much with my dad, but clearly not. Not that I didn't see as much when it was me. Not that I didn't see it as much when it was um, Donna Baldwin Agency, when it was Yoga Energy, when it was Blake, when it was, I don't know what it is, but like yesterday when you called me, I was like, oh my God. Like, I, I, like I'm, I'm many years removed from that era. I, mm -hmm. and I, and I, and I, and we talked about this and this is something really interesting you said is that have you made amends and I gotta be honest without getting in again to the nitty gritty my debauched years were rooted in addictive behaviors with illicit substances mm -hmm. that I rectified without a 12-step program amends was never in my protocol I didn't feel mm -hmm. the need to go around apologizing individually for my transgressions I thought the greatest apology was to change my behavior so I, right. I really, you know, you said, did you make amends? And I was like, I don't do amends. <laughs> That's like more or less what I said. And like, right. and I was like, oh, but also I just want to make it clear. Ain't no amends with bro. Ain't no like, let me come to the table and just apologize. Anything yeah. like that. Nobody's recommending I don't rec directly deal with this individual. It's way past that. And, and this isn't even about that. This is about him needing to stop his hurt. Yeah. I, if I apologized to him, he would still be hurting. It wouldn't be like, oh, wound closed. The ex-wife is gone. The ex-wife is remarried, new people. You know what I mean? He is still angry about the, the marriage, frankly. You know, I, I know he is. It, 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 it's, it eats him. I, frankly, he is hurt. And I, for the record, I would like to say that I am sorry. 
I'm sorry that the behaviors that I engaged in then in any way, shape, or form caused a dissolution to his marriage. I would like to publicly say that because he listens. He listened to our entire episode. Mm -hmm. He took a snapshot he posted. So he's going to be listening today. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say to him, I do apologize. I am sorry. It's unfortunate. Now, the accusations that you have made about me are flatly untrue. But again, without getting into the nitty gritty, some of the, the transgressions you believe I've committed against you, arguably, are they valid? Yes, arguably they are. And for that, I take accountability. I apologize. But it does not give you license to harm people who have nothing to do with it. Yeah. My father had nothing to do with it. Ebony has nothing to do with it. Donna Baldwin Agency, Yoga Energy, Blake Jackson, you name it. They have nothing to do with it. So it is really, really past the point of just between me and you. Your hurt has allowed you to believe that you could indiscriminately harm whoever you saw had a heartstring to me, whoever had a connection to me. This is one of the great people I listen to all the time. And I really want to take a moment. His name is Diallo Kenyatta. He's perhaps uh, in this space of punditry. He is my, he's, he, and he talks about this dichotomy of the victim and the vector. Mm -hmm. We are all, or can be, or are legitimately victimized. Being victimized leads a lot of people to become a vector, which is to say a transmitter of the harm. Mm -hmm. And no victim paradigm gives you license to become a vector. Yeah. Deal with your shit. Hurt people, hurt people, unless you hurt. hear that hurt. And, and, and it doesn't give you license though. Like we say, hurt people, hurt people, as if it's some sort of license. No, it's not. The hurt people are wrong. Yeah. You they gotta heal, you gotta heal the hurt so you don't hurt people. So that's why we heal, right? Like that's why we take accountability for our wounds. That's why we don't go, you know, if you understand that you have all these swords sticking out of you, that means that you don't go rushing in for a hug because you're going to cut somebody. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a great analogy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Thing. And you wrong for that. You wrong for you're that. You wrong for that. Yeah. You wrong for that. So, yeah. you know, I mean, but again, if we start to do some political analysis and we extrapolate further, there's a couple different industrial complexes at play here that enable this malfeasance, and they are particularly a nexus of evil. One of them wow. is his class status. His lack of, he believes for whatever reason, and I do believe his class status, his wealth status, where he lies in whatever socioeconomic hierarchy gives him license to do this. I believe that. B, I believe, frankly, he must be monitored 24 hours a day. The <laughs> mental health. No, I'm not joking. Like the mental okay, health I'm industry. Sorry. The I didn't, business. I'm not supposed to laugh. <laughs> he said, no, I mean, he just, he, he, it's like, it's like we're talking about somebody who, who functionally has what amounts to a, a built in traumatic brain injury. And, and what, what I say by that is like, not to, but what I'm saying is that, he can easily say, I'm not responsible for my actions. Okay, if you're not responsible for your actions, the parents who enable you to live whatever semblance of independence are. Yeah, okay. Somebody is. There's not just any sort of world where like, oh, no one is responsible. <laughs> Someone is responsible. And if, and if he can 
literally claim or, or, or theoretically claim that it's not him, who is it? So, so there's that. that that's, that. that's one of the nexus. And then I think finally, the third one is legally. What is my, my recompense? Because the nature of the laws, the PPO, means that I believe he's skirting what he considers to be violations by attacking ind indirectly, indiscriminately, random people because it's not indirect. By so there isn't a law that I know of that prevents this type of targeted harassment that well, I can speak to. So in, in the comments, um, in, in some of the claims that were made, um, mm -hmm. is that I have a podcast where we are calling on violence against all white people and saying a whole bunch of anti-Semitic tropes. Um, this person says he's going to take his time and utilize all of his followers and all of his connections in the media to make sure that we are punished to the fullest extent legally possible. Um, so this was the direct, the direct claim, right? And then right. in and then goes on in another Those are his post, words. His words. In mm -hmm. another claim goes on to say that we are the equivalent of backyard bigot bigoted backyard bullies who are making right. jokes about anti-Semitism and that um the coaching industry is a forest full of uncertified professionals and so on and so forth. So uh, let me let me let me circle circle around to this. First of all, I think that the coaching industry as an unregulated industry where anyone can call themselves a coach is another ill-reputed entity or institution, right? I think that when you are dealing in behavioral sciences and working with individuals, you absolutely do need certification and oversight. Um, as a result of which, I have several um, <laughs> I have several I hold several certifications. Um, <laughs> Um, because as as it relates to race, class, and gender, as a Black woman, I do not have the benefit or the privilege of making such an endeavor to call myself a certified or a life alchemy coach without holding certifications that would validate or authenticate me as being able to go out into the world and do this work. I'm not beat for the fact that a, a cisgendered, heterosexual white male person disagrees with my political and personal views or my approach or tactics or methods as a coach. There is no legal ramification to me speaking freely on my podcast about my lived experiences at the Beyonce concert where I was uh, assaulted by white women, um, speaking about the logistics of what happened. There is no legal ramification um, for me having an opinion that is backed by Certificate certifications and knowledge and experience and sharing that that in and of itself tends to make the skin of white men crawl by just real. That's just my existence. Welcome to it, sir. Um, I also think about life coaching that when you find a good one, I believe that there's a coach for everyone. And when you find a good one, it literally can change the world. And so the reason that I do this work is because I looked at the industry and saw that it was completely full of white men and white women who are a certain um, age demographic. There's there in the certification channels of the life coaching industry, there is no demographic category for race of certified life coaches because there are so few of us. They don't even right? measure. They don't so. even measure it. 
right? Mm-hmm. So the 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 system that I saw when I experienced life coaching as an industry, I was like, oh, if I take these tools and learn these methods and bring it back to black and brown people, I can then incorporate and weave this into our own ancestral ways of knowing and being and the lived experience and realities of who we are. And I can affect change and support people who are out there being the only one in their fields. Now, I'm not saying that as a justification for old boy who is in his feelings and, you know, internet thugging, but I'm saying that because I feel like it's important to state as a whole, like I'm not beat for the fact that a white man is mad because I have a podcast saying whatever the fuck I want to say, talking to my friend of 20 years about the things that we believe to be important that are direct and immediate harms that are being presented to black and brown people on a global level. And so again, healing is possible. Magic is real and love is the answer. Fuck around and find out and understand that like I'm divinely protected (laughs) on a whole lot of levels. So I'm not really concerned about that personally. I think it's just interesting that without, without any kind of um proof analysis consideration of my humanity that this person sees fit to attack me professionally by making these claims and to go and to use the internet a place of ill repute to do that in such a way because he has like he said is going to take his time and resources why don't you take your time and resources to do something useful why don't you have your time and resources to like, I don't know, pay a scholarship, fund somebody to do research or have a project, help somebody learn, help somebody heal, do something that would be a contributive factor to society. Maybe you help and support and actually create um, past legislation or create an inst- an entity that would support rescuing women and children from the for who are actively being trafficked in the sex trade right now. Perhaps you do something to fund an addiction recovery household. Maybe you need to get into a 12-step program. There's just so much other shit you could be doing with your time besides being on social media, fucking up my gig because you don't want me to have a five-star rating on a podcast that I started. Like get bent, bro. Like find something else to do with your time. Because here's the thing, while I am love and light, while I am a certified professional, while I am an organic intellectual and a fly ass auntie and all those other things, I'll also cuss you the fuck out. And both things can be true at the same time. I don't have to perform professionalism for the patriarchy because a white man wants me to justify my behavior based off what he does or does not like because his wife left him 10 years ago. Ain't nobody got time for that. So you don't know me. But I tell you what, but I also say in the same breath, because I can do both. I also wish you love and light. I'm also grateful to you for listening. You are probably one of the only people who listened. The fact that we're taking out this hour of this time of this podcast to address you in particular is because of the fact that it invited a really deep level of healing that had to come on a one-on-one level between me and my brother that didn't have anything to do with you. And it also is functioning as a distraction as Toni Morrison would, would say, it is it is a distraction to the movement because we have a whole show planned about reparations and about the Palestine, the Palestinian conflict and occupation and moving on to talk about socialism and talk about self-actualization as a method of uh, liberation and all of the things that we will continue to do. One monkey don't stop no show. But we did need to come here to say that just as soon as we started, here come the attacks. Here come the attacks as a distraction from the actual work of what we're doing. Because before you made that Instagram page, and I'm speaking directly to you, you listened 
to a lot of the episode. You listened. Two and a half hours. You listened to the whole thing. Two and a half hour long episode. You had to listen and search deep and wait for us to say something that you could tease out as potentially problematic. And even then you lied about it and took it out of context in order to support your claims to say something wild. So you went out of your way to be nefarious and obstinate because you needed to prove a point of being harmful. So you enacted harm against a stranger who you know nothing about me and then reached out to a colleague of mine to to disrupt her work. And I want to apologize to her too. I would like to apologize to your colleague personally too. I want to say that too. Sorry, I'm gonna, I didn't want to interrupt, but I just want to remember to say that because I'm really, again, I'm really sorry, but go on. Yeah, so like, you know, all well and good, I hope you got what you came for. I really do. I hope you got what you came for. And just make sure that when you leave, you go. I don't know that you, that you, I mean, I'm not really sure what you want more than what we've given you. And I feel like that's the most generous offering that I can give you is to look at the timestamp right now and say that we've been talking about this for an hour. That's not so much about you, but it's for for us to give, to use our platform to give Jonas the opportunity to unburden himself from the thing that he has been holding, which is the shame of this harassment that has been reverberating to the people who have loved him this whole time that you have been attacking him and his character. So in defense of you and to speak directly to the pit um, that has been the subject of this, of this discourse today, like fuck that dude. You know what I mean? Like, and I mean, like, let it go. Like, what does it look like for you to let it go and to release yourself from the shame of his incessant harassment? Because like you said, everybody who, who sees it knows, like, it, it doesn't take a whole day to like decipher it and be like, oh, this is weird. Like, this is strange. (laughs) This doesn't feel like it's in alignment. Like the people who know me and in the, in the coaching industry know me. (laughs) My reputation yeah. precedes me. So your claim that I'm doing something, you know, harmful or illegal or whatever that is, you know, causing people to need to think twice about coaches, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion, bro. But And, and well, you're right. Like, that's what Ebony said. You're, you're right. right. I mean, you are right. The, 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 the life coaching industry is full of Absolutely. frauds and, and, but and you know, chicanery so is, and, and shenanigans. So is, so is every single government. So is, let me tell you something, the imposters are not in the rooms. The imposters are out here pretending to have been telling you a story about what they saw when they were in the imaginary room as they saw, as they imagined it. They're out here living in their delusions. So like, yeah, there are frauds and phonies and scammers in every, in every place. Like, that's fine. You don't, I don't, and you get to call me one. You actually, you have the freedom yeah. of speech to call me one. You can get on and Twitter finger your way through Whatever, but it's not going to stop my work. It's not going to stop or impede our relationship. It's not going to change my mind. You haven't broached a, a you've just been derogatory and like, and trollish. And that's got to be sad for you. Like, I want better for you. Right. And I don't even, I want right. better for you. I want you to use your class access and your resources and the the hyper functioning of your mind to do something that is great and useful and um beautiful like make something beautiful make art make love and to that do point, something better that's what would help you yeah that's what that's would how help you get you free stop hurting. 
that's how you get free. That, if seriously, again, speaking to this individual directly, if you want to start stop hurting, start helping mm-hmm. people. Use all the power that you claim you have that you intend to use in this sort of vindictive fashion and turn that around and use it in a valiant fashion. Use it to help the people that you claim to be protecting. But secondly, I also want to speak to that notion that it's like you're not capable of harming my reputation, of harming my work, of harming my relationships, of harming my because I live in the light. Yeah. The way I conduct mm. myself is is in my actions and my behaviors, they speak louder than he ever could. So people see your words that have very little, if any, credence and see my actions and see my behaviors and see how I live and see my work and go, I prioritize this over this because this I know, see, hear, feel, and touch. This is just air, you know? So like, it really has to occur to this person. And this is what we start to talk about capacity, capability. If he's not incapable of actually extrapolating that he has been wasting his time, wasting his resources. In the process, he has now two permanent protection orders. And now the legal ramifications of his continued harassment are going to visit him again. And his life is only going to suffer further. And this is a vicious cycle of which he is the only person capable of unspooling. Yeah. I am not. He is not. I mean, I am not. You are not. Nobody. And and that's the thing about it is like, he must hear this very clearly. The second that you decided initially, one person, me, or perhaps my ex-bandmate, was the cause of his harm. And the way that you were going to deal with that is to attack innocent people next to me. He ceased to be any kind of victim and eventually became a victimizer. You are a victimizer. You are hurting people. You are causing more harm to compound onto the harm that you have suffered. And I acknowledge you have suffered. I acknowledge that you have legitimate grievances, legitimate hurt, valid pain. I'm not disagreeing that it's also not dissimilar from any other human being walking the earth it doesn't set you apart or make you special or give your pain priority over anybody else's that's just not how it works you know like it doesn't it it doesn't it doesn't work that way so i don't want to continue to like i don't know i there's a, a part of me that is like you know i'm like this is you know when when people talk about oh when you have a stalker you don't engage because that you know uh, feeds them and you should use legal resources. We talked about how black and brown folks do not have a trust in um, institutions in carceral state at all to be to be our protectors in environments like this. So what I do know is like mm. my, I think what our agency in this situation is, is to speak directly to the mountain, the pit, to speak directly to it, to him um, in saying like, we see you, we see you. Like, I see you. I get it. Like, when one of the things that we ended up talking about yesterday was like the work of and this I'm going to pull back and kind of pivot a little bit Mm -hmm. from from him in particular and talk about a thing that came up for me is like the work of black women in community as it relates to how we how we cultivate community through filial or uh intimate and platonic relationships platonic yet 
intimate non-sexual relationships or platonic relationships, filial bonds, right? With mm -hmm. between men and women um, in the black community, how we do that. I feel like for my whole adult life, when I grew, I, I grew up, um, I had a lot of uncles, a brother, big cousins. I grew up having an understanding of men as a protective entity, um, a resource, understanding that there are definitely like being able to read energy of men and understanding which ones were safe and unsafe, um, playing with the boys. I, I was very aware of that in my childhood. Thankfully, because I had so many positive examples of male role models and male figures in my life who did not cause me harm, who were my protectors. I realized that in that same group of men, just because I was safe, some of my other cousins and relatives and friends were not safe around those some of those same men, right? So, however, as I became older, I started to look at if I'm going to be in the world, I can't be in the world and be to be like a consumable project product for men. Right. And I saw all the ways that society wanted to pressure me into being consumable. Right. Mm -hmm. um, to mm -hmm. and, and the the fear that was being instilled in me or the guidance from my maternal figures was you don't want to end up out here lost and turned out. You don't want to end up in the streets. The streets was the worst place that you could be. Um, you don't want to have your reputation tarnished sexually. They're going to call you a hoe no matter what you do. If you do anything with a boy, anything, you're going to be a hoe. So don't do nothing because you can't be no hoe because that's the worst thing that could happen, right? Is to have your mm -hmm. reputation tarnished because somebody's ashy ass son then said something about you being out in the world, right? But I was constantly seeking the support and stability. Like, but these are my homeboys. These are my friends. I'm not having to, this is, this is my homie. You know what I mean? These are, mm -hmm. you, I felt like women and men could and should be friends. It has been perhaps one of the most challenging relational lanes for me to maintain in my life. To honor, um, to cultivate and to be in right relationship with men has been extremely difficult. One of the places where I had the most, I had some acute difficulty was in my relationship with our friendship because you completely unbeknownst to like, you were like entirely, I don't know, unaware. Like you were just never on that shit. Right. Like, Jonas has a, um, a vibe where he's not like a mixy, you know what I mean? He's not like the dude who's out here chasing ass, you know what I mean? Like it, on a, I'm not without revealing too much about your personal life. Like he's just, it, Jonas is not for the streets. I'm not. <laughs> right. No, I'm not. It's not for the streets, no. nor have you ever been. Right. So I think I put a lot of pressure on our relationship in assuming a certain level of safety with you and in our friendship. And I don't, I think that this scenario, this situation, and I think that had a lot to do with why I said we're going to do the podcast. I've been kicking the can down the road of doing a podcast for 
a long time, partly because some of the mm-hmm. feedback that homeboy levied against us because yeah, the coaching industry is a shit show. And like, I don't necessarily want to speak as an authority on a subject that I'm not sure that I'm completely committed to and also don't want to spend all my time arguing with invisible people on the internet. But I felt safer doing that because we get to do this thing together. And that felt made made the success and the legitimacy of the project feel more possible. But back in the day of being in Denver, of watching the way, like, so back in the day, we used to call Denver Boys Town. Me and the homegirls, we called it Boys Town. Now the children, now the, the children call it Menver because of the dynamic of men versus women. But at the same time that you were making music and doing shows, um, I too was very much in the, the field as a, a a poet, spoken word artist, MC, doing events. I was the the liquor rep. I was a bit of a girl about town, so to speak, at this period. I watched for a very long time women in Denver, in our community in particular, go to great lengths to uphold, to protect, to provide for men in the music and entertainment industry to, you know, to be successful, to be great. And to the extent of whether or not they were raising and having your babies, paying your rent, buying studio time, um, you know, uh, keeping the groupies off you in the DJ booths, if they were providing the couch that you and your homeboy slept on, if they were letting you use their car to get someplace while they was at work, if they were promoting and producing the shows, writing the articles about you, saying the prayers for you, casting the spells. I'm talking about like literally covering on all different sides and angles. And there was still this element of like not really being accepted, not really being protected, still having that same element of you might be gobbled up by this industry, by this man. And it always coming down to, sexual desirability it all coming down to who you fucking who you loving who you want to be like listen who you want to be hugging like dipping on your yeah that 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 was what i think corroded so many potential relationships um a former homegirl of mine used used to say if you fuck one rapper you fucked all the rappers so you have to be, you can't, you either can't fuck no, ra- you got, can't fuck no rappers, but it's like, oh, everybody's a rapper. And here I am thinking about how, what are ways that, how do I position myself? And I say all that to say this, it had a great deal to do with how I understood myself in the formative years of my twenties. Um, the choices that I made and like how I dressed, who I dated, what I wore, what relationships I was in. And all of it really boiled down to looking for safety. And that is a necessity. The safety is required in order for you to self-actualize. And I think that there are women and especially femmes, non-binary folks as well, I will say like, who 
didn't really have many spaces where they could experience safety and still be in the company of men. And so I wonder where we are limited in our ability to self-actualize if we can't have those really difficult conversations where I was able to say yesterday, like, yo, you made choices while you were in your debaucherous era that made me feel inherently unsafe. And I was hurt by that. And that had a lot to do and why, that, and that why was I like, wasn't yeah. around you. So so I said all that to give some context for like the the personal trajectory of our relationship and how important it is to me. And also to say that like, it is big. I know that you didn't do 12 steps, but it is big for you to just acknowledge that you are worthy enough to have been loved even when you were in your least desirable iteration of yourself. And you yeah. were loved then. And I think to some degree, to I mean, not even to some degree, to a full out extent, that love is what sustained you and was able to carry you through virtually unscathed. Virtually, virtually. I mean, yeah. you sitting here well, old as hell right now with sunflowers yeah. in the background looking like, you know what I mean? Looking, looking great. Looking with your beard looking is shaped up. Great. You know what I mean? You so know like, what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Black yeah. women, we just, we, we, I, I loved y'all through it. And it was all because, and it, I think, it allowed me to learn how to love myself and to accept myself without the value add of whether or not I am desired by somebody's son, Boys by Town. Boys Town, or whether or not I'm like a viable addition to Boys Town. You know what I mean? Like you sit, it's like you can sit across from somebody, have the most amazing conversations they get in the studio and say some wild shit on a track and you'd be like, wow. Or, you know what I mean? Like we go to, you talk to me in the daytime, we go to lunch, have coffee or something like that. I see you out at the club. You walk past me. Like, you know what I mean? My name is Stanley or just any number of different scenarios or iterations of like well, how the, okay. so the that's lack what of safety exists. It's like, one of the things I didn't see was, and, and if we're not, get, if we want to get real specific here, is that like, and I've said this before, all art is propaganda. Yeah. All art is propaganda. So sometimes the ways that I would make you feel unsafe, unbeknownst to myself, is that whatever cogent ideology that I was presenting, I didn't fully understand the ramifications of, and I would contradict. So perhaps I would make something like Black is Beautiful, which was one of the projects and really lionized Black women. And then there would be artwork that like had these like lurid sort of trashy pictures of non-Black women and sexualizing them. And it was this weird sort of di dichotomy of, of trying to lionize Black women and objectifying non-Black women. That was a disservice ultimately to Black women. That was ultimately insulting I mean, to I Black women. I think it was a disservice and, and, and to all women. No, yeah, sure, sure. Of course. I mean, I was going to say that, but like, I was only thinking of black women. I'm sorry. Right. And, and that said, I, I was only. And, and like, and that's what I'm saying is that it's like, so you start to realize in this real way after the fact, and I, and, and, and something that we talked about yesterday is like, I did come to these conclusions myself. Like, oh my God, why am I ever putting a non-black woman on the cover? Why am I ever putting you like, why am I ever doing this talking about this? But I said to you yesterday, and this is something I would have appreciated being told, yo, you doing this on the, okay, like, again, to give more context, there's an album 
for black cards that is called church and and ebony's on the cover and ebony's on the cover looking you know resplendent in this church down the block and and you know looking like god you know what i mean and that was the and so and then the next record had you know a, a white woman with taped nipples and it's like one is sort of and somewhat insulting and denigrating to the previous one and vice was, versa so i'm gonna go a little bit further on this experience here because the church mm-hmm. album the church project Jonas was like i need you do you think you could paint a black heart on your lips do you think you could do that and i was like it's a stick picture. i was like it's a stick i was like picture. i think i could do that sure like let's go so he's like we're gonna go to this church on colfax and take pictures for the album i was like all right bet i dress in all black i blow my afro out like paint the black heart on my lips and then i realized like we're going to like a cathedral a cathedral like the one of the oldest churches in denver or something like that is on colfax Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. in the middle of the day (laughs) during there's like a mass happening i don't i'm not even sure because i'm not catholic so i don't know but i know that there were people in the sanctuary like literally at one point the photographer i don't know if it was you or the photographer was like so do you want to stand like in the baptism pool and i was like are y'all crazy like (laughs) i'm not i i'm like i you know i'm a preacher i'm a grand my grandfather and grandmother were pastor and evangelist i grew up southern baptist i am not that now however i got sense in home training and every part of my body was just like you are this is a sin i don't know to who <laughs> but you should not be doing this and i was like okay we'll just get the picture and it would it we literally like snuck into a church made a little bit enough noise to be noticed but like nobody came to get us or stop us we got some looks there were definitely some people who were like what we are not supposed to be in this church standing in the pew the photograph is taken i'm literally standing in the center aisle of the church midway down through the pews with the whole um pulpit it is the sickest picture behind me like and we like take a picture okay cool what else did we come up with for that oh the black woman is god let's do like a let's feign a sacrificial performance for mm. this show oh black hearts has a show ebony could you come and like you know, be the priestess of this ceremony, we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna have ritual before we do the, and so, you know listen, the bruja in me said, sure, I got you because I would hate for somebody else to be up there doing it, fucking around, making mistakes or whatever, so I will bring that magic to this this event. Y'all, there were no black people there. Like, when I tell you there were maybe maybe two other black people there one uh, who were homegirls i think and not very many of the homegirls actually came because girl what so <laughs> it was, it was weird. very weird but i did it this is why i call Jonas my creative accomplice and co-conspirator because i be with the shits i did not say no right again but this goes back yeah. to the safety element of it so mm-hmm. i'm i'm like down with the band, right? I feel like I'm part of the crew. I was not part of the crew, y'all. I wasn't part of the crew. What? No, I wasn't. Next thing you know, what you mean? Okay, so then, but this is what it felt like because the next project that got released 
they get signed. They're going to LA. It's this, everybody is super excited, like hella happy for y'all. And you drop the next project. And it is all of this gritty, lurid, like, just trippy, like, this faceless white woman who is nude except for having two X's electrical taped across her nipples and her vagina is is covered with electrical tape. Her crotch is covered with electrical tape and she's faceless because her hair is like all over her face. So this, this is like the epitome of objectification. That's Mm. the contrast of the project. And so I was like, Oh, well, fuck me. Like, that's not you. What do you mean? I wasn't part. Like I, there was just this. that You took that as the rejection. You took that as a, a rejection. It is the most literal and visual opposition. A literal like yin and yang, like not in a balanced, cohesive way. It was (laughs) like polar opposite. It was not beautiful like a yin and yang. It was not. And I was like, okay. And then I, real talk, like didn't really hear from y'all no more for years. I mean, I, be, I realized a, a number mm. of stuff, a number of things happened, but like shortly after that, I relocated, I left Denver, moved to Albuquerque. Like, I think we maybe had like one conversation from the road, like when my band's EP dropped and that was it. I literally didn't speak to you again until you came back from LA. So I was heartbroken. Hmm. Well, firstly, I want to apologize. <laughs> you out here because... on the apology tour today, bro. Wow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. This is yeah. I'm on an apology tour, but I mean, I see it, I hear it, and I you got you got to acknowledge it. I got I got to hold that. You know what I mean? I I can't really be like, oh, you wrong for this for that. No, I hear it. I understand the transgression. I apologize for it, and I just can only say my behavior for the most recent past present project is uh, a writing of that ship, and will continue to be. But also, I think what I was saying was just that. I was oblivious. I didn't see them as incongruent. I didn't see them as contradictions that somehow negated each other or somehow really cast a sense of just disappointment or, or hurt or, or any, I I was completely unawares of that. And I think, you know, one of the things that about this situation with the stalker is that it is reflective of, and I think you said this yesterday, of course that bullshit you was on back then would come back to bite mm-hmm. you in the ass or people you love in the ass. And and that's really what we're talking yeah. about here is it's like, I did not connect the dots. And even really until yesterday did I connect the dots of the hell I had wrought in terms of like, it's still visiting me. It's still coming to me. And so it's like the accountability I have to take is in this debauched era. And again, I, I said this before, you cannot pretend like self-harm is not non-self-harm. It's harm to your community. Absolutely. Self-harm is community harm. So when I was engaging in these prolonged forms of self-harm, I was engaging in prolonged forms of harming the people who love me the most. People like you, mm-hmm. people like my dad, people like, you know, even to this day, you know, there are a lot of people like Morgan, for instance, on that Fabian album, you hear her talk about how like when she knew or she heard, you know, and it's like 
for that same reason, people are like, oh, you know, I can't really fuck, fuck with him like that, you know, no more. But that hurts. That's another form of, you know what I mean? It's like, you're forcing me to not fuck with you. And that hurts me because I can't fuck with you in this yeah. state. You know what I mean? So it's like one of the great things about this circumstance, because again, I always say I am somebody who looks for the opportunity in problems, in crisis. I said then, I say it now, we are going to take the energy that was given to us by the pit, mm-hmm. internalize it, and reverberate it out for we will make a mountain out of it. Yeah, pit. for sure. You know, we will make we will make some beautiful. So like I'm plan we, we, we gotta really plan another peach tree, baby. You know what I mean? We're gonna play peach tree. You know, ain't no scared of no pit. One pit don't stop no peach tree. Nah, but you know what I mean? So that was the thing about it, is like we really got to talk in depth about the ways A, my behaviors harmed you then, and frankly, how they're harming you now. And just being able to hear that and understand that it it was painful. And I and this is something that I think we want to talk about. I believe there's such thing as good pain. I don't believe there's such thing as good harm, you know? And this was a good pain. Like, so we had this conversation. We really got to talk about the political, like, again, there's a lot of things to extrapolate the sociological, the gender, the, the, the sexual, uh, whatever psychology elements of it, the political aspects, all of this stuff that like at that point, and I'm not going to attribute that to my age. I'm not going to attribute that to anything other than my own myopia mm-hmm. at that yeah. point. This real sort of narrow scope about what success meant, what um, my own aspirations were, which like, again, I think we touched on this a little bit. I never considered I'm doing my art for the good or addressing of a political struggle affecting my people. I really didn't. I was like, I'm trying to blow up. I'm trying to get this bag. I'm trying to... St-. And and to be fair, it wasn't because that was my internal... It was because that was the external pressures telling me that's the validation we need to see to to to, to for us to grant you what you should be able to grant mm. yourself. And then my own dark period, my own wilderness period after the dissolution of Black Hearts before the reemergence into my solo career now, it was this really long lost thing of like, why am I doing this? Why, why do I do music? What, what is the point of art? And, and having lost that, it really took out the battery in my back because there was this sense before of like this careerist, opportunist ambition. Without that, what is the point? And it was only, like I said, in these long and winding conversations with Morgan and, and just sort of this healing process and myself addressing my own shortcomings, really putting nipping in the bud, the debauched era and all that other stuff that I start to realize I got to use every literal ability i have in me to help black people Mm. period and now all of a sudden everything has meaning but also you start to realize when you aren't doing that when you don't have a sense of purpose that is greater than oneself that is not self-serving that's not in service of ultimately good how can you do anything but some form of either direct or indirect harm Mm which is to say intention is everything, you know? So there's this real serious element of like the intention that I put into now, it's not perhaps buoyed by the fact that I have something to rectify or something I have to address, but just that I am really in alignment with it. I really do believe, I really see the value in everything I do, whether it be each one, teach one, reach one situation or en masse, Mm -hmm. you know, if it be a million people or one people, 
every action I genuinely believe I really try to put towards the singular goal of helping black yeah. people as I see it, as, as I, as I believe I can, as I should. So, you know, when you get to talking about this sort of situation is it's like when I was indiscriminate, I too was firing and people were catching Word. strays. The strays that you caught were not fired by him. The strays that you caught mm. were fired by me. And that's, the shame. I was taking the gun and pointing it at the people I love. You know, because you think somehow, and and, and you know, there's a there's a lot of like youthful indiscretion that could have been avoided, can be avoided. And I and if there was if there was anything that I said yesterday, it's just like I wish you had told me. I wish you had said me, and you explained to me what was going on with you, why you didn't, you didn't even feel like I would be receptive to that or, you know, what was going on with you. We all had to rectify certain perceived inadequacies or, or, you know, whatever to prevent us from having a lot of the honest conversations yeah. we're capable of having now, you know, but all I can do in the future is have those conversations with people younger than me, people my age, people older than me about what is the intention when we get into this creative space, when we get into these endeavors and we work in community, yeah. what is What's the your intention? Why? And is the intention, what is your why? And, and, and I need to know that with anybody I'm working with. And, and again, I, you know, you spoke about how at that show, there wasn't many black people. One of the most interesting things about my art and my audience is that it's not primarily black. There are, I have a lot of black fans, but I have a rainbow coalition of fans, despite my overt pro-black you know, mm -hmm. politics and, you know, the shirt and all that other shit. It, I'm not off-putting to it. Like, so it is a big tent thing. And, and in that respect is it's like, they got to know anybody who comes into my circumference, whether they be black or not, right. they know what I'm about. And if you want to help, you help sure. help black people. And in, and, and in turn, helping everybody. Because like I said, I do believe the, the greatest threat to humanity's very existence yeah. is anti-blackness. So when I alleviate anti-blackness, inadvertently, I'm not only helping black people. We yeah. live in a fishbowl. If somebody cannot extrapolate by Yonah's helping black people, he's helping me as a non-black person, then you aren't for this movement. You aren't for what I'm doing. If you look at what I'm doing and feel excluded by it, because I prioritize black people or because I talk about black people. If you can't see your own human struggle in the struggle of black people, yeah. what I do is not for you. Because one of the things I think black people are really forced to do is to find empathy, to find character, to see themselves in other stories. Because for so long, there wasn't representation. You would have to watch these type of movies, that type of movie, this type of art, this type of art. And you weren't seeing black children. You weren't seeing black men. You weren't seeing black women. So you had to be like, no, I see myself in Bruce Lee. No, I see myself in the Green Hornet. No, I see myself in, in you know, whatever other non-black person and, 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 and envelop him into our culture. And that's why so many people treat the celebration within the black community as this like gift. They got the golden ticket. Black mm -hmm. people love me. You know what I mean? If you're a non-black artist or non-black person and you have a, a, a pronounced mm -hmm. large black fan base, it yeah. is a point of pride. No person is like, I wish I didn't have this massive black audience. It's like, wow, black people fuck with me. There's <laughs> something deeply validating to non-black people about That's black true. people fucking with them. Right? So like that really speaks to the way that black people are forced 
to fuck and 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 and, and to invert that where you have non-black people fucking with black people's art a lot of times i don't necessarily believe they see themselves in it they just enjoy the work they don't love the black person they love what the black person did which is to say i'll give you an example white people love 50 cent song white people love eminem mm. they love 50 cents songs they in the club it's their birthday they many men want them dead all that shit they don't love 50 cent black people yeah. love 50 cent white people love eminem White people love Elvis. White people love the Rolling Stones. White mm-hmm. people love the Beatles. And the ones who love Jimi Hendrix, it's because they attempted to annex him. And that's what Band of Gypsies was about. He was like, no, nah, I'm actually right. a black person. And then miraculously, oh, he's dead. So yeah. let's not even get into that. That's but interesting because I think about that, that from like like Amy Winehouse and Janis Joplin were like, black people were like, we we love you. <laughs> and they also died early. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder what, I don't know. I'm curious about that. I don't know. Anyway. I mean, I, yeah. I don't want to get into a weird conspiracy. I, you know, I think what I think. But the point I'm trying to make is that, so when I, as an artist, make what amounts to pop music for the masses and large, but I say, don't get it twisted. This is about black people. This is for black people. I'm centering black people. If you take umbrage with that in any way, shape, or form, I assure you, it is you yeah, for being sure. racist. Not me. So there's this real thing about, you know, only starting to understand that, only starting to see that in these recent years. And awareness of political, because even when I was, quote unquote, not for the streets in my <laughs> early burglary years, somehow managing to only be philanderous with substances and not with a litany of, of you know, would-be lovers or whatnot, it was still a fucking off of source. It was still like, because here's the thing, and I talked about this yesterday. I am a fucking snowflake. I am fucking one-on-one. I don't walk around like, yeah, a lot of niggas, fuck, you know, I've always been at this cutting edge tip of what amounts to innovation, what amounts to like very much on an island, turning around on my people like, yo, so what direction I go in is often the spear's tip, you know? And so in that respect is it's like, I have to be hyper cognizant and aware yeah. of my effect, of my influence and my ability. If uh, being such a leader in any way shape or form is a responsibility not just a privilege it's a response so you got to be like yo how am i affecting my people what am i leading them to what am i saying you know what i mean what what am i doing we talked about this a little bit and i think this is a good place to bring it up like i think we're very similar in this way of being um i don't know strategic calculated intentional deliberate are some words that i would use to describe each of us um, is in our uniqueness, but also how we how we make choices about where we show up in space because we understand the responsibility because people listen to us, <laughs> right? Like, right. and right. when you realize right. that, it kind of it, it comes with this responsibility of being like, so what am I going to say? This the mm-hmm. the new TikTok Instagram story operation of of having a microphone or having a platform quote unquote is a little different for me i would go so far as to say us people who have been on stages performing i've had a mic in my hand since i was seven so i'm not unfamiliar Mm -hmm. with what it looks like to take the stage and make everybody in a room pay attention to what i'm going to say that's a that Mm -hmm. takes a certain kind of 
human to do that. How I move, how we move Mm -hmm. in community and in the world as a result of that, bearing that responsibility has a lot to do with this concept of dignity um, and Mm. not being um, messy or showing up in ways that are undignified ways because what it does is creates harm and justification for more people to point at you and say, see, we knew you didn't. We knew the light was phony. We knew you don't really live in the light. We knew we were waiting for you to fuck up. You know what I mean? And so carrying that responsibility can also make it really difficult to say sometimes just the most human shit that comes to mind, to to be flagrant, to be flippant, to say things, just to speak from parts of ourselves or from an inauthentic space for the sake of a jokey joke, right? Um, it, it, it's It's like a... I don't know that that's like a, it brings this acrid air to me when I think about that. So, you know, I don't being able to, to have these conversations and share so much of how you think, how we, how we think and what we think in a way that is going to basically like, once these words are transmitted from our mouths and get uploaded, we can't, we have no more responsibility for what happens with them after that. And that's scary. Right. So I think sometimes we maybe it's the Libra, maybe it's the Capricorn. I don't know. But like I have I think we have a tendency to over articulate. To be long winded in explaining to, I'm you know, listen, my 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 Clifton yeah, strengths yeah. say what you will about, you know, white supremacist uh, modalities for testing personality types or whatever. My Clifton strength, number one, number one strength is context. And intellection. It's my number one strength. I need to know. Let me tell you why I'm right. (laughs) I'm going to tell you the history of this situation. This is the research that I did so that I could form an argument that would be valid and make sense before we take a step in this direction. I want you to know that I checked my notes and then I checked them twice. And now I'm going to do this next thing. And sometimes it makes it really difficult for me personally to fail because of that. Because I put so much on preparing, planning, having integrity, having being dignified in my approach and being the spear's tip, right, in in forging forward in a new direction, it can be incredibly devastating when things don't go as I intended. Things don't go well. And it can be really difficult for me to detach myself from the outcome of situations, which feeds perfectionism, you know, and also feeds the shame monster. Because if I did all this work, if I mastered all this context, if I give all this historical perspective and viewpoint, and then some white man gets mad and decides to make an Instagram page railing against it and calling for legal repercussions, did I fail? And the answer is hell nah. Right. But still, no, no, that rubs against no. this trigger. You know what I mean? Like, so it it, it, it rubs yeah, against dude. that part of my humanity and my humanness because at the end of the day, I'm still a person. Like, yeah, the picture was dope. I am the human 
being who had the experience right. of mm-hmm. having that second of my life be captured. And so there was everything that led up to all the contextual background of everything that led up to the moment standing in that aisle and having a photograph snap that ended up on the cover. Like I am the human that is inside of that well, experience. And the context of that is really important because it carries with it all of these parts that are loving and and funny and jovial and skilled and dignified and, you know, and solution oriented and all of these other things that make me, me. And I think that we should get to live. It is a blessing and one of the greatest gifts to live into this version of myself, to have the gift of being able to stay well with my soul on this planet long enough to be actualized in this iteration of myself where I'm like, oh, and now my work is to help other folks achieve whatever it, whatever version of, of actualization is real for them, you know, like, and I don't get to have any say in what that looks like. I can't say what's good or bad well, about it. That's what I wanted to say too. That's one of the things that switched, I think, for me is that I really did realize the people make the art. The art, like there's one of these delusions artists have that's just, I'm willing to harm whatever and do whatever in the service of great art. You know, so oftentimes you hear about filmmakers who put everybody in the crew through torturous experiences in order to make great art. So much abuse, so much harm of people in service of making the product. And I think that I was also somebody who believed in that. And that's mm-hmm. when you talk about the self-harm thing of like being the enfant terrible, you know what I mean? The the, the genius, uh, the the tortured genius who, who rings great art from the yeah, torture of other people so you were so definitely big big like yeah yeah tortured genius was a vibe for a while uh, and hurting people and that's what i'm saying is it's like i realize i don't give a fuck what the songs are whatever if my people aren't good if i don't take care of the people the art suffers but also who gives a fuck about the art the people yeah. are what matter most the people in my life so it's like the picture that we took was beautiful, but for a long time, perhaps I prioritized, look at this great picture we got and not how is that person doing? How is that person? I took this picture of affected. What does this picture mean? And then the second thing, and then this is something I really want to give context to, and maybe you might find this unfortunate, but when we talk about the shade monster and when we talk about my ex bandmate, one thing that happened that I still wrestle with is that great shame, of my debauched era and the things that I was doing in that time, he publicly laid out in this real sort of, and and to me, that's something I, to this day, I, I have a difficult time, right? I can't forgive this person. I mean, like when you talk about how it rubs up against the shame monster and this notion of wanting to be dignified, when somebody takes that agency from you, and lays bare what is your shame to, to lay bare, what is your secret. Somebody tells your secrets. Somebody puts your business in the streets. Somebody, like, a lot of times that's common for people. For me, it was easily the most traumatizing, singularly, like, I'm, I, I say this all the time. I have not forgiven. I will fucking die mm. with this resentment. I don't know how or when I'll be able to be like, and I forgive that person. Because... I can't think of any greater transgression towards me than to take what I perceive to be my greatest shame and stealing my agency of being able to rectify that in any public sphere, how I see fit to have that somebody else have taken that. And, and then we talked about this too. 
and and when you had conversations with this person, they were like laying my shit out, and you're saying to yourself, "Well, is he okay?" And that's not really being considered. But furthermore, is like a lot of times, ten years later, seven years later, it's like, "Well, why can't you patch it up?" Because I'm still hurt. Because I'm still mad, and I'm telling you in a real way, honest to God, this situation with this person. I am more hurt by my ex-bandmate than this person ever could. Because in a real way here, you have validity. You have credibility. So when you went out and said, this is what's going on with Jonas, people knew it was the truth. And the contextualization of it is something I can't take back. I can't get my honor back. I can't get my pride back. I like... I feel like something was stolen from me. I will never get back and I will die Ooh. angry. I fucking shit you not. I shit you. Not. I try to I try to envision scenarios where I'm like, you are forgiven. All is well. It's love. I'm going to tell you something right now because I don't really give a fuck. We just in the spirit of like there was a time recently where I saw this person mm-hmm. across the room, right? And I was like, obviously I should go over there and just be like it's all good. I couldn't do it. I couldn't even go up to him and just it's good. Okay. I don't want to give you that. I don't, I literally don't even want, I want you to know. And like when, when I think the person saw my back, they saw, I took off and they're like, yo, he's running from me. No, I cannot even give you the semblance of peace. I can't give, I can't let you know it's good. I can't, I, I can't pretend that I know if I'd have went up to him and been like, yo, what's up? It would have been all love. We would have fucking hugged, bro. I don't want that. I want to, I seriously, like, when we talk about this whole scenario, what I'm most angry about is that. Fuck this dude. Fuck this stalker. But, like, the debauched era and everything I went through in that in that experience, to have that ruthlessly exposed, I just, I don't think I'm capable of ever forgiving that. I really don't. Um, anger is... Listen, yeah, I, I, don't, I wasn't gonna call it poison. I yeah. It's so delicious. anger, anger is delicious. A very valid experience, and often the loudest. Um, it has the most fire in it. It has the most verb. Um, anger wants us to know that a boundary has been crossed. You very clearly articulated the boundary that was crossed mm-hmm. as it relates to your mm-hmm. dignity and and also your mm-hmm. story, which. To go back to the shame piece, I haven't really heard you own it in like literal terms. I think that you're still maybe playing with the language of how you describe your debaucherous era in a way. And 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 you're still very guarded with your story because of the violation of having had somebody else share their perspective mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and weaponize your experience mm-hmm. against you without you having agency. Mm-hmm. So I hear that. And I. Mm-hmm. And invite me somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Invite me somewhere away from here. Cause now I'm screwing. You know what I mean? It's just the worst trigger. It's the worst fucking trigger, bro. Forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. And so my question is, have you forgiven yourself? Clearly not entirely. Okay. So clearly not entirely. 
uh, the invitation that I want to share is this offering um, called, it's a an indigenous Polynesian prayer called Ho'oponopono. Um, Oh, yeah. I think you've the said this before, yeah, prayer on. is about being in right relationship. Um, it is a method of of correcting what has what has what breakdowns have occurred. There's a whole ceremonial procedure for it in community spaces when someone has caused harm. They call in the family. They call everybody in to space to reconcile. That's kind of been distilled and is in a lot of ways. Um, it's it's reconciliation, but to set right is what it means to 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 set right, right. not to fix what's mm-hmm. broken, but to like put things where they need to be to fall back into alignment. And in a lot of ways, the um the prayer, um, I don't know, it's popularized lately. So there's like a million meditations of it on YouTube and things like that, and it kind of has mm-hmm. been succinctly distilled down to these four phrases that yeah. function on repentance. The request for forgiveness, Mm -hmm. the expression of gratitude, and love. And so the first thing is to just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Second is, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Then you say, thank you. And you close it with, I love you. I love you. Those four phrases repeated to yourself as a meditation allow you to center in on the debaucherous version of yourself. Sam again. Sam again. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Thank you. Please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. I love you. To some degree, we've said that to the pit through the conversation that we've had over the course of this hour to set right, to exact our own version of amends. It's interesting how we might easily give that off to our violators before we drink the medicine. So you're willing to drink the poison of of, of anger, but are you willing to sip from the calabash of forgiveness for yourself. There is an, there is an anecdote. Not yet. So if you forgive yourself, that clears out the shame. It dissipates the guilt and it frees you to kind of start to vibrate on a higher level where you can begin to like exist in the realm of, of appreciation and celebration for all that you've accomplished because, you know, like June Jordan said, some of us did not die. Some of us did not die. You know, millions, millions of people Mm -hmm. died. Died. And are still dying. Died. Dead. Off this shit. Dead. Off the same shit. Toothless. Dead. Incarcerated. Penniless. Still addicted. Injured, scarred, maimed, dead. I know, I know, I know. You are not one of them. And so whatever survivors burden you carry is not yours. I'm just so fucking mad. 
I'm sorry, you know, and I, and I hear that and I've said that. And it's funny because what I immediately think is like all these other areas of my life. I've said that I've meant that I've relinquished so much, but it is focalized in this center port center point of what I just feel is like this tremendous betrayal that like, I, I'm just trying to let you know right now, I mm -hmm. hear what you say. I, I, I take it in. I cannot abide. I don't know when, I don't know when, I don't know Who's when I, betrayal, like, though? I won't feel so Who's betrayal? Betrayed. Did you betray yourself? Well, yeah, but, but here's my thing about that. And I just want to say this. It's the extension of oneself. It's the way that you, that like perhaps in no other, in, in no other form of, my own work did I use what I was to shelter, to guard, to prop up, except the handful of people in my circle, the people who were on that stage, mm -hmm. the people who were in that band. So when we talk about the sense of betrayal, it's that it's it's like when one extends themselves and get burnt for it, they learn this gritty lesson of no longer extend yourself, right? Which I would not say I've learned. I continue to extend myself. But what I'm saying to you is that like this primordial rage and anger comes from the fact that like, you know, I was the greatest fucking thing that ever happened mm. to you and you fucked it off. So I'm mad at that person betraying themselves by blocking the blessing of Jonas in their life. Because here's the fact of the matter. You could be here now. You could be reaping these blessings. You could get all there is to get from this giving tree that is Jonas. I wish I could give it to you. I love to share. Okay. I can't. I, it makes me angry that I can't because the fact of the matter is you don't How does it make you feel it. to, first of all, is it true? Is that true? Is that, is what, what you just said true? Is it absolutely true that you would give everything to this person now if it had not been for fuck yeah okay fuck yeah so how does fuck it make yeah. you feel when fuck you believe yeah. the thought that all of this is for not that can never happen now how does it make you feel I, you know like i said bro i feel mad alone in the respect to where like I wish there was a Cody in this creative space. I wish there was one nigga I could be like, yo, this is my main man in this space. But I still me alone in a room mm -hmm. writing songs. You know what I mean? It's still me alone in a room conceptualizing. It's still me alone in a room. And I want so desperately to have one or two or three people in that room with me. The band, the brothers, all that shit. And it's just like, it's not a luxury in my life. Who would you be without that thought? Well, you know, I think most of the time is, I am that person. Who is that? Which is who to are say, you without that thought? Who, you know, a very intrepid, a very happy, a very self-satisfied guy. Like I'm, I'm somebody who's very joyous. I'm a joyful individual. I'm buoyant. I'm not miserable. I'm not dark. I'm not gritty. But like, I'm an angry person. I'm an irritable person. I'm somebody who snaps. And when I start to internalize, what is it 
that makes me simultaneously very joyful, generally in a good spirit and like prone to snapping in a bit. And it's that dichotomy. It's like, I just want to be chill. Why is it that like I'm at the razor's edge of perpetual irritation? And I think it's partly because it's like some of these these traumas that I hold on to in that respect that I cannot relinquish. I've deluded myself into believing they're fuel. You know, like I can't lie. There's a certain empty, hollow joy I receive from the idea of like, I know you're seeing this. I know you seeing me out here shining. I know you hearing about me shining. I know the word. And it's like, and I know that's hurting you. And I'm trying to glean joy from it. And it's not even joyful. There's no joy to be had. It's, it's like, there isn't even the possibility of rectification. There's not the possibility. I just, I don't foresee, I cannot allow it. Like literally, I'm, I'm furious about the idea that Having any semblance of peace would be further humiliation for me. Okay. Um, and because so the, the dignity so, thing and all that shit. Like, anger came back. Um, and I'm curious, like, what's behind anger? And I can't... I, he, anger came back so fast that I wasn't sure I could actually, like, tease out what was behind it. I told it. you! It's just, like... Yeah, and you're prone to the snap, service. but there's also... Oh, you said joyous and buoyant and, oh. like... um. And that that part of you, right? That the not the the party that is not dark that that does live in the light, right? Right. That part and anger, like which one, which one do you want to exist in for just a moment? Like, what feels most active for you to explore? I mean, we talk about the anger. I'm in the anger place right now. I mean, and I'm real full of the anger. The anger okay. is making me angry. You know, it's, it's really, it's, where do you it's, feel so it in your body? I'm obviously relishing. <sighs> I would say it, it feels mm, something like okay. heartburn. I don't have heartburn, but I feel a burning in my chest that I would equate mm -hmm. to heartburn right here. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, I feel it. I feel yeah. it. I didn't feel it before. It's interesting. I lit a mm -hmm. green candle when we were talking, which is the heart chakra. And it's almost, when we were talking earlier, that was the color that I chose. And it's almost burned out, but it's still there. And so I wonder if you could visualize maybe setting yourself apart from the burn. Like literally visualize it outside of your body and, a, and a, at a distance enough from you so that you can see it. Just to get some distance from it. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you, Jonas, calm, clear, compassionate, and curious about it, confident that you'll be able to explore it? Maybe even with the courage to explore this big anger that just pops off and starts a fire in your chest to be as creative as you know yourself to be and connect to the anger. What do you see? What does it look like when it's not burning inside your chest? Like I took the whole trachea out and, and now I'm what's, looking at the trachea. What is the, what's the condition like of the trachea at... that you're looking at? 
It's like glowing green, mm. like it's nuclear. Like it's like uh, it's like it's like it looks like glowing radon. Madame Curie just discovered uranium green, and but also now I don't okay. have a trachea. Uh. Now I am voiceless. You know, in a sense of like, like you know, somebody told me at the beginning of the year they're like, "I want you to be angry again," and I was like, "Why?" And I obviously internalized mm. that. And so what I'm telling you in a real way is that I've also turned said anger into my fuel. Like, I, I don't want to relinquish the resentment because I rely mm. on it when I'm tired and I don't want to get up and I don't want to do what I have to do. I go, I have to rub somebody's face in a pile of dog shit. Get up. Wow. That's what works for me. It works for me. When there's nothing else there, it's like got to do the chore of rubbing somebody's so face in the moment before shit. in the moment before the dog shit like <laughs> i don't know i want to go back to you said that you don't have a voice when you remove the burn and it's radioactive glowing green away from you like i want to just take a minute to be in the part that doesn't have a voice without you admonishing the part that wants to admonish that part to rub somebody's face in dog shit to just like be in the stillness of that space that's created. What is going on there? You mm -hmm. mean in the state of voicelessness? Probably a state of meaninglessness. I mean, in what does it look like? If I don't, I mean, like who's in there or what is in there voiceless and meaningless i mean it, that's just it it's just there's nothing in there you know and it's just hollow it's very empty where it's like like i live in light and i live in love but i run off hate it's fucked up like even getting clean Getting clean, a large part of it was like tremendous resentment towards the rehab facility. <laughs> I used to, like, I was a legend in that place. I used to call the center office the Death Star whenever the employees would walk by, I'd go, bam, 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 bam. But I was just like so, you know, anti authoritarian. But also, it's like, I remember them sitting, I remember once, and this is perhaps the singular moment of anger. It's like we were in one of these fucking shit ass 12 step meetings, and this guy's sitting up there being like, You are not special. You are not a snowflake. And I'm thinking to myself, and I'm like, The fuck, I'm not. I know. I'm not about to get up off there and be like, hi, my name is John Oz, and I'm an addict. I'm not about, I am not a snowflake. I'm just like, no, I don't give a fuck. Nobody's taking my snowflake. So like instantly, what did that do? That reinforced my individuality. It reinforced my necessity to, in fact, I will show you. <laughs> Here I am clean. How Six, seven that? years later. You know I, mean, I mean, and we celebrate, we celebrate your creativity. Um, and your sobriety, but like, how does this, does the snowflake, how does the snowflake in you exist near the radioactive core that burns in your heart that is driven toward hate? Like, where is the... It still ah. snows in Chernobyl. You know, life came back to Chernobyl. Yeah. 
life came back to Chernobyl, but it's still radioactive. You still can't eat mm. the snow. So mm. how do you feel? How do you feel about the voicelessness? What do you want to fill it with? I could probably relax, bro. I could probably not have this overarching, like, you know, the sense of purpose, the sense of fulfillment, the sense of drive. All of that is a little bit antithetical mm. to rest. Mm -hmm. You know? So, like, mm. I am restless. I would perhaps be restful. If I didn't look at the removal of the radioactive trachea as yeah. a death of sorts, if I saw it as an opportunity, but I still have much to do. Mm -hmm. We still have much work to do. I can't imagine the work getting done without the radioactive trachea. Well, I mean, yet, so if you were thinking about this as a, um, a nuclear physicist, how do you, how do you harness nuclear power? How do you make that a safe source? Well, I'm not I'm, a but physicist, I'm going to say, so but you are. Guess, I, you I, know, I, this doesn't yeah. have to be correct, but I mean, like, if we're being creative in this space and okay, like playing, okay. playing with solutions like of what to yeah. do with a radioactive core that is costing you rest, which also will necessitate your efficacy in the work that you have to do. Uh, do you agree mm. that you're going to need some rest? You 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 need I some rest. Agree. I do agree. I do agree. Because what's the radioactive <laughs> core costing you? What's its... What, let me... Okay. I'm going to back up. When you see yeah. the radioactive core, mm -hmm. if you could just... Add, like, what is its purpose? What's its job? What does it do for you? Well, what is what does it do for you? Job? For you specifically. Mm -hmm. Keeps the lights on. Keeps the lights okay. on. You know what I mean? It, it, it runs the bat. Like, like I said, this engine runs okay, and off. And what is it costing Jonas? <sighs> what is it costing me? I mean, the most terrifying answer is that I don't know mm. yet. But what do you know? You know. You know, um, I think of the word serenity. Serenity now. I do not now. experience serenity. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> much, much like Frank Costanza will tell you, it's as valuable as screaming hoochie mama into the air. It does not work. I don't, mm. I do not experience serenity. I am never on the beach with umbrellas yeah. in my pineapple. You hate the I sun. I hate the beach. Mm. I hate the sun. Well, less now. I like the sun. I like sunflowers, but I, I'm not sun and okay. fun. I'm still doom and gloom. But you also live in the light and yeah. walk in the light and I know. are and, I know. and I, it's like I can't yourself. enjoy that light. Like I can't go to the barbecue. I I want y'all to because have barbecue. You have I a can't radioactive leak that is existing that you're carrying around in your chest and in your throat. Yeah. So yeah. how, what, what is the plan for 
containment and cleanup so that you can continue to use your energy in a way that is in service to your higher self? Like, what do you, I mean, is there anything else that the radioactive core wants to say to you, wants you to know about its purpose before we move on? Like, and how does it feel? What is it well, like to I be mean, Jonas's radioactive core, actually? That's what I'm curious about. What is it's what is it like to be that green trachea oozing? I don't know. I maybe I added that. In my imagination it oozes, but Yeah, that's gross. That's a gross addition, <laughs> but perhaps it's valuable. Perhaps I should consider the ooze. That would make, give me more impetus to get rid of it if I knew it was oozing. If I'd have known it was oozing this whole time, not glowing. Glowing is it, it was incandescent, you know. So <laughs> now it's it's like to, you know toxic avenger. Where before you it said was, Chernobyl, you know, so that's was, what I don't know. I know, I know. I didn't get, but but no. Let's to, to go with that. What is it like? I feel like ultimately. We know nuclear power is harnessed effectively in many times, but the world seeks to get away from nuclear energy, right? But we we need it too much. So what? Is, okay. Right now. So, to me, is it's like. I realized that I, I sort of live in a perpetual cycle of resentment and self-satisfaction. There are moments where I'm just like, and the resentment is often because I'm not self-satisfied And perhaps this, what, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what's limiting your ability to be satisfied? I don't know what external validation I'm still looking for. I believe I mean, in internal validation. I don't know. I, I believe in that. And, I, and I, I give it to myself a lot of times. But obviously, there is mm-hmm. a chip on my shoulder, a Utah-sized chip on my shoulder. And that's what makes me ambitious. That's what makes me read the books, do the work, write the songs, go to the gym, all this stuff. It's not from this. It, I, as much as I see the value in empowerment and in love and all this other shit, this is a rage-filled engine, and I'm terrified of no rage. I am more because that the absence of rage to me is just abject terror mm. and defenselessness. Mm-hmm. You know, the agency, my agency is is springs from the ability to get angry mm-hmm. first. So, like, what made me claw up off the pavement, what made me continue to... Mm, mm, fucking pissed I was and how pissed I still am and how I hate that nigga to my dying day and I'm using it and I'm not going to give it up. I think that you just, um, hmm, what do I want to say? I think that I hate that nigga like I hate white supremacy, bro. I'm going to say like, what if you are that nigga? What if it's what if it's really oh, a self-loathing? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I didn't I didn't expect definitely. you to say that, and I, I'm but I'm like, this is yeah, like yeah, like, oh sure. yeah, to disagree. I'm like what? I'm aware. I'm hyper self-aware as a trauma. I'm aware. 
I just swear to God, I, I'm not aware of the way out. Like, sometimes you ask me these questions, I don't know. I, I think that I we were, we were close to a shit. part of like where the radioactive core kind of stepped aside to create some space for the terror of, yeah, yeah. yeah we <laughs> then you were like, I don't want to, and that's fine. I'm, I mean, but, well, we could go there. We could talk about, it. okay. So I'll say this. Okay. Let's bring it on home. We are black people in a world trying to extract mm-hmm. our life force mm-hmm. and capitalize on it. We exist in a state of high, like we must be on alert. We are, mu- you know what I mean? So it's like the vigilance necessary. I just feel like, you know, like the hyper awareness of the political situation, black people are in and all this other stuff is it's like, I just don't, I, it's like if I was serene, It just seems like an ignorance of that, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, when you talk about the self-loathing is it's like, those were 10 years, those early burglary years, debauchery years, those were 10 years I could have been doing this work and, and I'd be 10 years, but it was 10 years I was just fucking off, lionizing black women in my life and objectifying non-black women and just a lot of just gross, ugly, nasty shit that it's like, you want to, you want to compensate for it. You want to, you want to, you know, you want to double up. So it's like, you know, I wake up at fucking four in the morning. I go to bed at 11, bro. And it's like, I just, it's like, cause I got twice as much work. I got shit to make up for, but also at the same time is it's like, I got people to prove wrong. I got, I got, I got, I got uh, grudges to set. I just like Mm -hmm. vendettas, you know, if it's not with, and it's like with myself, obviously the vendettas with myself. And then one day will I look in the mirror and be like, I forgive you. When I die, I don't know what that means. I like when I, to me, I have equated All of the engine, the combustible engine, it's running off combust. It's running mm-hmm. off combustion. You know, it's not green. My engine is not environmentally mm. friendly. It is putting out excessive CO2 and running off the consumption of all the natural resources in and around it in a sense of to where it's like, I don't have this clean, green, sustainable. It's like I'm burning something of myself in an unsustainable fashion and i'm working towards healing that in a real way but it's like i'm telling you the centerpiece of it that i have internalized and i've centered as perhaps the greatest betrayal transgression against me that i can think of not my mom functionally abandoning me at 13 years old not anything else it's this motherfucker telling the world what the fuck I was going through in this long and winding Facebook post and seeing this dog pile of people gleefully celebrating and discussing the gritty details of my lowest moment. Like, and then having other people be like, look at what they say about you and blah, blah, blah. I hate all them niggas to this day. People I don't know. I just, unfortunately, somebody had the wherewithal to send me the comment threads, which were like, this motherfucker went on Facebook and said what he said, and it's hundreds of comments. 
And I'm just seeing all these names and all these people who are laugh out loud, who are liking. And, I, you know, without getting into, I know somebody else who went through something similar. And the way that they responded was to literally make a laundry list and try to attack all of those people and just do a bunch of mess. All I did was just be like, I got something for y'all niggas. And so every single time that I, and, and to be fair, there are people now I interact with who at that point, they were on that list. And I don't secretly mm. harbor resentment for them. I save all of that for the lone center. But I, I'm telling you, is it's like, I know there's nothing more this person would want than a, a, you know, a harmonious reconciliation. And I, that's why what I can't What if he doesn't want that? Does it matter then? Mm, then I, then I, I'm, I still wouldn't give it to him. So if he didn't want, but I know he does. Perfect. What does it mean to you that he wants a reconciliation? That he's watching that I'm getting another opportunity every day to shove his face in a pile of dog shit. It's fucked up. Huh? I mean, it's I don't gross. know. Do you shove your dog's face in its shit when it has a mistake, has an accident? Oh. I love my dog. Do you shove your face in your shit when you make a mistake? I do love myself. Mm. I hate this. You person. know, love and hate. And I don't get me wrong. I know that the opposite of love is indifference. Hate is like radioactive love. It's like, but I this mean, is yeah. that. It is a thing. It's not just like, love is, hate is just love with it's a cape and a cow. No, no, no. But you identified hate as hate. being radioactive and referred to the thing that bumps your chest. As I a... told you. The, the, it's running okay. off resentment. Here's some things. I go to the resentment station and I Here's pour gas in my tank. Here's that I'm hearing that as far as like where this leaves us in this moment um, is yeah. it's not sustainable. That it's costing you your rest, which in the work of liberation and movement building and community establishment, you being radioactive at your heart center. No. It doesn't bode well. No. So no. if you apply the fact that healing is possible. Woo! You better stop. <laughs> no, you're real though. Not the you real have though. A healing is like I'm telling you right now. I'm saying to you, healing is impossible, and, right. and that's just not true. So, I, I hear you not being right able now. to see it right now, which is why the invitation to be like I want to go cry right now, but I'm just so yeah. angry. You know what I mean? I wanna, I wanna feel other. Like I remember going to my therapist and them being like. They said this to me once, and this was not this therapist. This is many therapists ago. And they said, you transmute all of your mm -hmm. emotions into anger. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> so fuck you. I told you when you were going to, be, to speak on that panel, and I was like, make sure that you like gauge your your. I'm not trying to tone police you, but like you sound angry. You're like, I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. See how I talk. And I was like, okay. Like, but <laughs> the people who don't know you might not know that, friend. Like, you gotta. Oh, uh, no. So it's undermining. I, but but my here's work. what I think yeah. is a huge success today. 
you identified mm-hmm. this radioactive core and you've used that term a couple of times. You said you were radioactive yesterday and I just want you to yeah. consider like as you acknowledge it and sit with it, like how can you, one of the things that you said that it feels like to be the radioactive core is like, nobody wants this, but everybody needs it. Everybody needs this energy, but they're afraid of it. They don't know how to harness it. It seems like this huge, big thing, but given everything that you've said about all of the things that make you extraordinary and your capacity to develop as a songwriter and to be an artist and a community activist and to heal yourself and to, to carry this chip on your shoulder to this degree. It's like, there are some questions that come up for me, like, well, what did you learn in hell in those 10 years? What did you learn? While, cause you were still, yeah, it was 10 years of fucking off, but you learned things. And the things that you learned aided in your ability to survive them. And so how do you honor that dude? How do you tell him, we did not die. We did not waste a decade. We made it out. Oh, won't you celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and failed? There's cause for celebration in that. And so... In the softening, in the, the, the extinguishing of the radioactive burn, there is a way for you to also transmute that. If you can transmute all of your emotions into anger, I believe that you as an alchemist can also transmute them into something else that is just as useful mm-hmm. and, and forever, mm-hmm. henceforth, because you say so. It takes focus. It takes forgiveness. This is the magic part, is the transmuting those emotions to choose a place that you wish to be. And sometimes when like, when we're down here in the in the root area with the shame and the guilt, it can feel like a really heavy lift, right? But there's, there's it's interesting because anger is, an, is a higher frequency. Anger is is a, a mid level frequency of like movement that's above shame that radiates above shame and guilt, and it's very close to pride and courage, and courage. Very close to pride. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. in the transmutation mm-hmm. of your emotions, you have other options besides anger, and if the anger is suffocating you or limiting you in ways that are no longer, um, you know reasonable to the life that you're creating for yourself when you transmute it it's not so much letting it go and then being left voiceless and empty and and meaningless but think about what you want it to become like what do you you know it still snows in chernobyl is like a beautiful song title yeah, it still snows in Chernobyl. So, these are heavy questions that I need to. Yeah, need to you know, rest I with. think we um, should probably. I mean, not yeah, rest well, you do need to yeah, rest. I but... also listen to your body tell you what it needs. Mm-hmm. Your body needs rest. There is a desire mm-hmm. for serenity. You do have. There are parts of you who do want to enjoy the sunshine, sunshine, and the cocktail. Perhaps you need a fucking vacation. Perhaps you need to celebrate or reward yourself 
for your accomplishments. Yeah, I don't know what that. I don't. Yeah, somebody asked me the other day. They're like, "How are you going to celebrate?" And I was like, "Man, I don't know how to." Ooh, celebrate. that's my favorite question to ask. Is how do you how do we want to celebrate your accomplishments? You have a graduation coming up. Like, how do you celebrate your yeah. sobriety? Like, celebrate that these that know. you crushed these goals. Like, you have a lot of work to do. That the energy, if harnessed and targeted toward yourself in like a loving and receptive way could really um, be the solution that this could resolve this. Um, Cause it's an energy drain for you to, it's like, it's like you're off gassing the, the radioactive energy toward this individual. But I think it's yeah. like, there's another place. If there's another place it that could it could go. go. Why don't we utilize the off gas? Let's know. utilize the off gas, you know, instead of and let it dissipate into a fruitless air of resentment for somebody. And how does that's this look not, like you know, community I mean, care I, too? Know what, honestly, like this also looks like community care. Oh, you know what I hell. mean? Like yeah, I don't know. Does. We hope that perhaps this person hears this episode. All my haters <laughs> watch me. Me too. All my haters watch me too. I feel like my haters are my biggest fans. <laughs> and I want to say something to my haters. All right. We can wrap it up Hi, like haters. this. Okay. What you want to say to them? Please forgive mm. me. I'm sorry. Thank you. I love you. Y'all, this has been episode two of What Would It Look Like? And I didn't see it coming, but it feels good to me. Just Ashe. And I'm in. Yeah. Ashe. Yeah. I'm in. I love you too, I love friend. you very much. Thank you for today. This was a good, was this great. was a good time. We'll be it. back. And 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 I want to pick up like we got like I want to do what we were gonna do, but we had to address this. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll I want to talk about what we're about to do. But bye. This is the peace sign. Bye. Bye. All right. We love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. Shiver of the setting sun Glimmers on your every skin To be here with you now It's timeless for a while Don't worry about it